I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Gentlemen, the show is about to start in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. He'll be found on the mountain. It's time for Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Built by the Barnumidium Company, served by Chicken Cock Whiskey, and part of the Chief Sports Network. Touchdown Carolina! Touchdown Ace Sanders! Pressure! Penny just dives in! All right, greetings and good morning. Welcome aboard and welcome home inside the Gamecocks, the show live from the Sinorama Studios, the preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics, Sinorama.com, located in West Columbia, owned and operated by Matt Vaughn, Gamecock owned and operated, Sinorama.com. Built by the Barndo Co., also Gamecock owned and operated, the Barndominium Company can build your dream home, and it would be a dream if you've never seen them. They are something. The barndominiumcode.com where they can build it for $160 or as low as $160 per square foot if you're in North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, or in Georgia. The Barndo Co. is what they're called, the barndominiumcode.com, and we are always served by Chicken Cock. Chicken Cock bourbon is fantastic. It is always on my shelf. I hope it's on yours. You can find it by clicking the Chicken Cock Challenge button in the Chief Sports app. Type in your address and whatever store near you's got it. That's where you'll go 
and have some chicken cock tomorrow because opening day is a little over 24 hours away from Founders Park. That is where we'll be beginning at 10 a.m. tomorrow. More on that as we move along. JC, Mad Dog, and myself, Mike Morgan, will be here today at noon. And coming up at 1130, our weekly visit with Chad Holbrook, head coach at the College of Charleston. He was at South Carolina when Sean Elliott was at South Carolina. Sean Elliott's coming back to South Carolina. If you haven't heard in the last couple of hours, Chris Clark broke the news from Gamecock Central a little while ago, and it has since then been confirmed by multiple national outlets, including our local outlet here that we work with, J.C. Sherbert and his staff from the thebigspur.com. We will dive right into that in just a moment. Obviously, last night Carolina was uh, embarrassed, I'd say, would be a good word on the road. On the plains of Auburn at Neville Arena, it was uh, it was a nightmarish type ball game for uh, Gamecock basketball. I mean, a nightmare. But it was only one, so they'll flush it and move on. Carolina is still uh, right there towards the top of the SEC standings. We'll get well into that today as well, and uh, and we'll dabble in some Gamecock baseball tomorrow's opening day lineup. We've announced it on the Big Spur, and um, it just continues to grow. We'll try to continue to improve it although I don't know how much more we can uh, with the best of the best joining us over a four-hour span tomorrow from a top Founders Park. Also, some news on the future scheduling model of the SEC. We'll get into all of that, but we will lead off with the news of the morning, and that is kind of out of left field. Sean Elliott is coming back to South Carolina as the run game coordinator and tight ends coach. For more on that, we'll throw it to Chicago, Illinois, where we find our beat reporter for no, i'm just kidding uh jc sherbert knows everything there is to know about anything when it comes to carolina football and i know he's been all over this for the last couple of hours uh, jc this this is a big big deal for carolina football bringing one of their favorite sons home and away from being a sitting head coach at georgia state in atlanta i'm sorry i just responded to this stupid list on tv i mean on twitter um it's it's like the the best twenty five teams since January first from twenty four from from Kevin Flaherty who I like no South Carolina Florida's in there uh, anyway yeah you didn't ask me about that you asked me about Sean Elliott I think that is a uh, this is something that Jamie you know you and I've talked about it behind the scenes you, you don't bring it up on the show because you don't want Sean to be put in a bad position with his current team and you if it's not going to happen there's no need to get everybody razzled up about it, but, but it was, this has been talked about for a little bit since last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know that, that Sean, uh, did a great job at, at Georgia state. We all know his affinity for South Carolina. We also know that, um, that, uh, you know, Georgia state, he's won there, uh, as a head coach, uh, that is not an easy job. I think it's tougher now with NIL and the transfer portal. And quite frankly, the Sun Belt Conference keeps adding really good programs like James Madison. Uh, and it's it's a miniature SEC powerhouse. Uh, Georgia State is about a, what, a 10, 9, 10-year program. They've only had three coaches in their history. Sean Elliott is by far the main one. He went in there and he raised the level of play. Uh, I don't know that anybody that follows that program at Georgia State would have ever thought they would have gone into Knoxville and beaten Tennessee or had Auburn on the ropes or had North Carolina on the ropes or 
or you name it. They, they had some great moments, winning bowl games, going to bowls all across the country. Arizona, they were in the Boise Bowl this year and won it on the blue turf. Uh, went down and beat, uh, I think in his first year, they beat Steve Spurrier Jr.'s Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. <laughs> uh, Jr. was the offensive coordinator for that staff and uh, won the, the Care Bowl in Orlando. And for a program like that that's fledgling, you know, to take that situation over and to do as good of a job as he did. And he had some bad years. He had some down years. He had some ugly games. The James Madison this games this year was, was terrible. You can see how much it affected him. But to do that, I mean, that proves this guy can coach. Um, there's a lot, or there's some, you know, most fans have reacted pretty positively to the news. There's some people that, I swear to God, I think that they started following Gamecock football in 2015. Um, because, I mean, and Sean, I'll be honest with you, his his latter offensive lines at South Carolina were not his best. Um, there was a lot going on with recruiting at that time, with the staff, staff as a whole. Uh, it was not a staff that, you know, relied on you to recruit your position. You, you know, they were still kind of doing territories then. And, uh, frankly, he and G.A. Mangas were the only ones recruiting during that time period. Um, and, and he had some guys that, that they didn't, they didn't quite develop at the level he probably needed them to, to compete in the sec. And then his last year, the first year under Muschamp, they weren't running the, the system he was accustomed to running. They were running Kurt Roper's system. So that was a, that was a change as well. Um, but I look back, I look at the 2010 offensive line. I, I look at a guy like Rokevius Watkins, who nobody wanted to take. It was before Sean got there. Uh, Ron Cooper kind of squeezed him in from junior college. The dude was a, a, a lean six, three and a half, three sixty five on his visit. Uh, look what Sean did for him. Uh, he was in the NFL for a while and was Carolina's best offensive lineman and then slid out to tackle in 2011 and started at left tackle the whole year. Uh, guys like that guy, a guy like Garrett Chisholm, who was a walk on who started, uh, yeah. for the SEC's championship team. Uh, Corey Robinson could not play dead at a movie. When South Carolina signed him, Brad Lawing saw something about him. He was from Havelock, North Carolina, had no other offers. Virginia Tech pulled their offer. Uh, so he had no other offers, but was 6'8", 300. Dude was a fifth-round pick of the Detroit Lions and, and got a cup of coffee in the NFL. A guy like Kyle Nunn, I would have never thought he would have ever played. And he started and held up well. Um, let's go down the list more. And, and then the, the, even the highly recruited guys like Brandon Shell, A.J. Can. You know, there were some misses. He couldn't help it. Brock Stadnick's arms were very short, ended up being very short, and he, he just never got any better. But, you know, that's going to happen on the offensive line. Sometimes your highly rated guys aren't going aren't gonna to pan out. Um, so you just go through T.J. Johnson, kid from Ainer, started how many straight games at Carolina and spent how many years with the Bengals? Nobody predicted T.J. would be an NFL guy, including T.J. Um, and so he did a – Ronald Patrick, I'll, I'll add another name in there. You know, I, I – uh, you know, you kind of, as time moves on, so we're, we're, we're really creatures of, of immediacy and, and and trends and stuff like that. And, you know, I understand when he left and took the Georgia State job and Muschamp was in his second year and you brought Wolf back, man, great, you know. Uh, and Wolf did it. I thought Wolf did a pretty good job under Muschamp. Uh, but you kind of look at what Sean's accomplished as a coach, big picture-wise. And then you back and realize, if you're honest with yourself, uh, how much of a cluster the end of the Spurrier first of Muschamp era was with personnel. And, and you see that they won games anyway. And you see when he was the interim head coach, they immediately got more competitive and were able to run the football. 
And then you look at also the fact he's not coming in as the offensive line coach per se. He's the run game coordinator. Then ding, ding, ding. Guess what else? When he came to South Carolina, he was the run game coordinator. And guess what? South Carolina doesn't go 42 and 11 and win the SEC East and win a, if if Spurrier had not said, all right, well, she we're just gonna run this run, run game. And I swear to God, guys, the play calling, you know, when Spurrier was calling, they say, Sean, give me a run play. Shoot. All right. <laughs> you know, because that is that was so foreign to what Spurrier did. And so you're you're talking about bringing the run game back. And, and look, it'd be one thing if like you're like, well, JC, that was 15 years ago. This is different football now. Well, it'd be one thing. Guess what? It's still working because go look at Georgia State's rushing offense stats. Yeah, it's one of the best in the country. And and get get excited about this, guys, because you have a guy there that can call the pass game. And and I think that will call the run game, too. But you're adding a dynamic run scheme into this with a bunch of very, very talented young offensive linemen and a quarterback that has wheels. And a running back room, and Bill King pointed this out today when I was on with him, that includes a guy in Rocket Sanders that's an All-American if he gets back healthy. But then, oh, wait a minute, you got three more behind him. And you, and you got yeah. guys that can run misdirection, like like these littler guys you have, like, like, like Kelton Henderson or like Juju McDowell. That's a big part of that scheme, too. And so you start to kind of the wheels start to turn schematically here, and you're like, wow, that, that, could, that could end up being very exciting when you merge, when you marry the personnel with what Dowell's already doing pass game-wise and then what Sean's done, and then you go back and you look at Georgia State and you say, yes, these guys run it against just about everybody in the country. It's effective. That scheme has not gone away. And and I've always thought South Carolina needs to be somewhat of a special preparation. Uh, I think Dowell's a good enough play caller in the passing game to be. Uh, and then you add this run game on top of it, uh, and it, it's just like uh, – just like when, from 09 to 010, guys. I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna help uh, this football team that that doesn't run, hasn't run the ball very well in a decade. Uh, run the ball pretty well. Yeah, there's there's a boy. There's a there's a lot of different ways to hit this thing. One of the one of the ways we're gonna do it a little bit later on from a bigger uh, perspective is uh, when we get Mike Morgan in our program. Is if we just haven't seen this in college football. I mean, this is happening a lot now where head coaches are departing for other opportunities that used to net you, you did everything you could to be a head coach and you just you, you took the money and you ran and you did what you did uh so we'll get into the why a lot of this is is kind of unfolding uh some of the national media immediately has already jumped on the fact that well we've never seen anything like this or two days into spring practice and he's out of there well players get up and leave in the middle of the night too so you know what college football is getting what it's paying for um, but w- with that said, though, specifically to Sean, let's talk about Sean the human. Number one, um, I'm a, just a big fan of people. And and if you're a big fan of people, you're, you're a fan of Sean Elliott. I can assure you of that. He's, he's one of the finest people out there from Camden, South Carolina. And uh, his family never moved. May, many people maybe don't know that. Uh, they never moved to Atlanta when he left and took that head coaching position following his, um, his first stint or that first year that, that he stuck around with Coach Muschamp and becoming the head coach in 2017. Here we are seven years later, and Summer and their children have still been over in Camden. One of the things that Sean has done over the last seven years is drive back and forth on the same day to watch his kids cheerlead, watch his kids play football, whatever the case is. I mean, he has literally gotten the truck after practice, driven from Atlanta 
to Camden or to Columbia, watched them do their thing, got back in the truck, drove back to Atlanta, and then coached a game the next day on Saturday in the fall. I mean, it's just commitment huh. to his family and commitment to this area. He he loves South Carolina. Um, I understand that that's uh, can be maybe a maybe a little bit of a touchy subject for some who, um, you know, because Shane Beamer only won five games this year. All of a sudden, you know, it's it's not cool to love the place that you coach anymore. Um, but that's not the case, and it's certainly not with Sean Elliott. He he wants to be here. That's why he just left a sitting head coaching position in Atlanta, Georgia, to come home. In addition to that, the flexibility of this offensive staff is really, really intriguing because Sean Elliott, everybody knows him as an offensive line coach, which is true, or as a head coach. Obviously, that is true. But Sean Elliott actually began his career as a tight ends coach at App State, where he did it for a couple of seasons before being promoted or shifted over to offensive line coach, where he stayed for about nine years and then Coach Spurrier brought him along to South Carolina. So he's got extensive experience. Those two things do tie in together. You add in the fact that James Coley, Shane Beamer, all these guys have experience in coaching uh, the, the tight end room. Lonnie Teasley doesn't have a ton of experience as an offensive line coach, but you know who does? Greg Adkins and Sean Elliott. I mean, you've got like 50 years of offensive line coaching experience now in there with Lonnie Teasley which is unbelievable. You also, JC, and something we've talked about this um, since uh, Pete Limbo left, is that you know one of the things Coach Beamer has really enjoyed doing since he's been at South Carolina, and all the smart coaches do this, they find a small group within the group that they can lean on, don't they? There's always a group. You might have a big, big coaching staff. Billy Napier can hire a 1,000 coaches and off-field personnel if he wants to. At the end of the day, there's two, three, or four guys that are just in that small little group that you lean on for all kinds of things, on-field situations, off-field situations. How do you handle this in the locker room? How do you handle this? And then even just none of that crap. You've just had a long week, and you just want to sit around, drink a beer, and talk to somebody. That's that group. And and he has he has reinforced it by adding Sean Elliott back to it. It's a tremendous hire. And everybody in this thing is winning. Shane Beamer, Sean Elliott, and Gamecock football. The only person or people that aren't winning, Georgia State. And that's the state of college football. I feel bad for the kids, and I understand why there would be some that are frustrated. But that's the world we're living in. They've opened the floodgates to allow this crap to happen. uh, And it just happened to work out in Carolina's favor this time. Yeah, dude. I mean, if you're a group of five coach, what the hell are you supposed to do? I mean, group of five is almost as, I mean, it's worse than FCS because, and and this is a structural thing that I, their conferences are chasing money. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's not fair to football, but I mean, in most conferences, it's not fair to other sports in those G fives. It's not fair to football because they're really in some of those conferences. Some of those teams programs are really, really good in other sports. They compete with everybody. Uh, but they're jammed in this football conference and they need the money, you know, so FBS pays more, you know, uh, you're never going to win a national championship. You may hope you get to the playoff one year or something, uh, but that's hard. That's, that's one out of 60 something, 70 schools, you know, to be that one that, that gets selected. Uh, and even then it's a long shot. So they're in a, they're in a tougher spot than say FCS where, Hey, if you lose your best player, that's fine because, we're competing with other FCS schools in G five. It's very uneven. Uh, and you're expected to fulfill 85 scholarships, just like the rest of them. And 
I mean, you can get lean in a hurry. It, it, it's almost mission impossible, you know, nowadays at the group of five level. Uh, and, and, and so what are you really playing for? And how can you sustain it? And how can you, honest to God, how can you keep from being fired? Right. You know, I mean, Sean had a good year his first year, terrible year his second year, got back to bowls in year three, four, bad year in year five and five. No, year, year, year five. five. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was her bad, best year. Bad in year six, rebounded last year, got back to the Boise Bowl. So, so you're telling me, let's say, let's say there's some new AD at Georgia State or something. I don't think there is, but if there was, that comes in and is like, oh, we're kind of stagnant here. We want to, we want to win the Sun Belt. So this guy's not getting it done. Uh, and against all logic, he gets fired because that happens. I've seen programs do it. Sure. You know, yeah. so, so where's the stability? Is it, is it there as you're, as a head coach where you're having to, where you're going to lose 30% of your roster and you have to be a perpetual recruiter or is it back at South Carolina where you're going to make the same money and be in a place you love and help your friend build a program and, and, and put your heart and soul into it where, where you're kind of a hero, you know, where you're close to home and spend time with your wife and kids who you, you've been away from. I mean, hey, trust me, that's hard. Right. Uh, and my little bit of life where in August, September, where I had to spend time in Columbia, that's hard. I couldn't imagine going down I, that drive down from Atlanta to Columbia on I-20 is brutal. I'd go up through Greenville sometimes just for a, a break. I can't imagine doing that every week <laughs> and yep. coaching foot running a program when you're responsible for 85 kids, uh, in Atlanta, you know, I mean, it, that's, that, that job's hard and he, he succeeded at it. I think he's grown as a coach. Uh, I think he'll come back here. And the one thing about that guy is he's not coming back to collect a paycheck. Uh, Sean Elliott's not motivated no. by that. He, he's coming back to collect some hardware. Cause I can guarantee you talking to people that have talked to him, and, and, and about his time at South Carolina, uh, he feels like they should have won more. They should have had more in the trophy case. Uh, and he's a guy that looks like Shane Beamer believes in this place and believes the football program here is limitless and that they can beat anybody in the country. And frankly, when he was there and with St a guy named Steve Spurrier, and even after Steve Spurrier left those six games under Sean Elliott, though they were one in five after about the second game, I didn't go into any of those games thinking they were going to lose. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I was excited to see him play. And they, I mean, they, they very easily could have been five and one during that stretch uh, with a massive win over Clemson. And then he'd have he'd probably gotten the job, but uh, I, uh, I, I'll tell you that, 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 that guy, there's something about him that, that, that I think it, and it, and, and overall too, you can have special people that you bring in your program all you want. Um, I think Will Muschamp did, you know, brought a lot of special people into the program, but if they're not a fit, they're not going to work out. I mean, it's just yeah. the bottom line. If they don't have a passion to be a, especially in a place like South Carolina, if they don't have a passion to be at South Carolina. Uh, they're not going to work out. And even foot coaches recently that have coached here that not necessarily, you know, there's, there's one thing I, and I'm not, I'm not naming anybody specifically, I'm saying, well, there's one reason after another why we can't get it done here, you know, and you think that they would, you know, your job is to overcome that, you know, or because uh, there's problems everywhere, um, you know, you're not going to work out. This guy, he's going to take obstacles and move them out of the way. That's what he's done his whole career. Uh, it hasn't been perfect. I'm not sitting, sitting there and telling you, go look at all the wins he had at Georgia State and the championships they won. 
But that's a hard job. And if you'd have told me he'd have gone over there and beaten Tennessee in Knoxville at any point and scared the bejesus out of Auburn at any point and gone to five bowls, I'd have said, eh, that's a little, probably a little bit, um, a little bit optimistic. And he did it. So, uh, congratulations to Beamer. And, you know, one more thing though, now you look at the four. <laughs> he brought in James Coley, Joe D. Camillus, and Sean Elliott. Three coaches who I'm very, very familiar with. Well, right? and, and Markel Blackwell yeah, as well. I'm not as familiar with him, but that, that's the fourth. Who, he's also a veteran, 15, 16 years, coached at Ole Miss, coached at A&M, very well respected around the SEC. So, so those four guys, that's a lot of coaching chops. That's a lot of coaching chops that, that he landed. Um, and I think that in the areas you need to shore up, you know, that's going mean, to look, I'm not like, obviously he's not the offensive line coach, but run game coordinator oversees all that. And so Sean Elliott, Greg Atkins, Lonnie Teasley, that's going to be their baby. And there's so much talent, so much young talent on that, in that group. And I think Lonnie's done a great job with them. Don't get me wrong, but the more the merrier when you're talking about that bunch and getting them right, because this is a window of opportunity for the Gamecocks to have, for the first time in a long time, a good run game and a good offensive line uh, coming up as uh, the SEC, you know, adds two more powerhouses. Yeah, it's a, it's an upgrade, no doubt. This this staff has been tremendously upgraded, and um, and the run game needed to improve, and <laughs> they couldn't have done a better job. And when I say they, Shane Beamer could not have done a better job by going out and improving it with the talent that he has brought in to this coaching staff. Chad Holbrook was at South Carolina when Sean Elliott was at South Carolina. I guarantee you when Coach Holbrook woke up this morning knowing he was going to come on our show today to fuss and discuss like he generally does, it wasn't going to be about Sean Elliott returning to the Gamecocks football program, but we're going to toss that at him when we get back here in just a couple of minutes. We'll also uh, look back on some of his opening day experiences at South Carolina and much, much more. We've got plenty on South Carolina's throttling at the hands of the Auburn Tigers last night. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty putrid to be quite honest with you. But um, nonetheless, they still got a bunch of games to play, and they're in a great spot. They're fine when it comes to being in the postseason. Mike Morgan will join us later. It's going to be a fun day as we get ready to hit the road for Columbia, South Carolina, for tomorrow's live version of this program on site at Founders Park for college baseball's beginning. Hang tight. Chad Holbrook up next here on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Charleston Fitness Equipment is keeping South Carolina in shape. Clients have come from all over the Palmetto State to find that one piece of equipment that they enjoy that keeps them looking and feeling good. Whether it's a home rower, treadmill, elliptical, free weights, a home gym, or something else, Charleston Fitness Equipment keeps the mirror smiling back at you. Get in shape like the Gamecocks do. Visit charlestonfitnessequipment.com. Gamecock owned and operated and proud partners of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. The preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. A full-service sign company that handles design, production, install, and service, Signorama Columbia has helped to bring to life the perfect vision for so many all across South Carolina. Owned and operated by proud Gamecock alumni, they can handle all types of signage, including interior and exterior, vehicle graphics, and more. Go to Signorama.com and find the West Columbia location, or call them at 803-407-9284. Bring your brand to life with Signorama Columbia and go Gamecocks. Cool Joe here. And when I'm not eating average jambalaya or celebrating endless summer in Destin, 
I like to eat pimento cheese straight off the bucket. Mm. And the only pimento cheese I like to eat is from Nana's Porch. It's award-winning. It'll melt in your mouth. It's good on a cracker. It's good in a bowl. It's good on a piece of bread. Also, don't forget Nana's Porch has a hell of a food truck. It's award-winning as well. And they're here for all of your catering needs. So get online, nanasports.com. It's mm-mm good. Coach O, signing off. In the summer, go Tiger. For chicken cock, we get a medium to medium plus toast, the char level. We use a number three level char. If you char it too deep, you start burning away some of those flavor components that you just created. If you just char a barrel and you don't toast it, you're going to create some of those flavors just on a thin layer, just inside the char, but not the actual depth and full extent of flavors uh, that you're going to get if you toast it properly. All those elements, that's exactly what they do. They boil down to great flavor. If you're in the real estate market in the low country or even in the Midlands, please contact me, JB, with Coast to Coast Realty SC. Go Gamecocks! This break is presented by Billy G's Carolina Barbecue, the state newspaper's 2023 winner for best catering, best barbecue, and best food truck. Visit BillyG'sCarolinaBarbecue.com for all of your catering needs. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. Ain't nobody got time for that. Disaster comes uninformed. During and after natural disasters or accidents, there can be a heavy loss to property. Having your home or office destroyed or damaged by water, fire, smoke, or mold affects your personal and business lifestyle. Resto Pros of the Midlands is here to help. Open 24-7. Call them when you need them. 803-493-0170. Resto Pros of the Midlands. RestoProsMidlandsSC.com. Quality that is guaranteed. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a Southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in Southern soil, are crafted by Southern hands, and proudly represent the South in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. Welcome home. That's what the Gamecocks say. And so does the Barn Doe Company, where they can build your dream home starting as low as $160 per square foot. If you live in the Carolinas, Georgia, or Tennessee, their turnkey process takes just four to six months on average and can be custom designed by size and details. Make your dream a reality. Visit thebarndominiumco.com. That's thebarndominiumco.com. The Barn Doe Company. Gamecock. Owned and operated. Attention baseball and softball players. For virtual hitting lessons and evaluations, contact former baseball record holder and All-American Michael Campbell at 859-414-8240 or email soupsswingshop at gmail.com. Go Gamecocks. What's up to the best fans in the country? This is Eli Jones, and you're tuned in to Inside the Game Cops, the show. Go Cops.
Hey, let's play tomorrow, 10 o'clock, Founders Park. That is where we'll be in the morning. But in Patri- on Patriots Point tomorrow in Mount Pleasant, this cat's going to be dialing them up again. The College of Charleston Cougars are ready to get upfield and play somebody. That's what everybody, every head coach says this time of the year. We just want to see somebody different. Uh, and they will. They will uh, as the season is set to begin. Coach Holbrook uh, joining us now as he does each and every week. He also, of course, has the incredible podcast, Chin Music. I was just talking to Michael Haney about this the other day. He's hooked on it now up in Nashville. So we're, we're, we're slowly but surely this sucker is uh, is spreading. So, look, man, I know, um, I know when we were texting this morning, it probably wasn't on top of your head going, well, you know, I'll get on with the boys today and we'll talk a little baseball and relive some opening day stories and stuff. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about Sean Elliott coming back to South Carolina. Yeah, I guarantee you that wasn't what you thought, was it? But you spent <laughs> seven years in Columbia when Sean was there at the Gamecocks. I know y'all, I know y'all know each other quite well. He's this is an out, this is outstanding for Shane Beamer, man, bringing this dude back. I love Sean. Um, uh, we were close friends uh, when I was in Columbia. He worked hard, man, and it was always fun to go on the field with the recruits and and tell uh, tell the recruits before the game, say, what's our offensive line coach? He's getting ready to butt heads with his with his offensive lineman before the game. He's bleeding everywhere and stuff. I mean, the guy's just a maniac. Uh, but he's uh, relentless in what, all that he does. And and like you said, he you know, he removes obstacles and uh, puts his nose down and goes to work. And uh, obviously he loves the University of South Carolina. His family loves living in Columbia. It's a perfect mm-hmm. hire for sure. What a great fit. Yeah, I, I've always, as you well know, I find it very interesting uh, to to speak with any head coach I can in any sport uh, to pick their brain on on how they do things and stuff like that. And and you you mentioned like the head butting stuff, and I, I remember seeing that a lot over the years. You know, being in the South End Zone, he'd be down there cracking skulls with dudes with helmets on. I never understood why he did that, but um, but it worked. So, but then but then he had to. Uh, then he had to transition because he got he got a head coaching job and like he all of a sudden had to be the man. Well, actually, back that up when Coach Spurrier resigned, all of a sudden he's the man. Right. So, I mean, you went from being an assistant coach to be to being a head coach when when Coach Tanner you know moved up. Do you like you are who you are, right? Do you do you do you change? I, I've got another question that I'm going to follow up with this here in just a second, just so, but. Like, do you change anything? Do you what, – what, what is that process like? Well, every every decision is now yours, every single decision, whereas you could always bounce a decision off of your boss when you were an assistant coach and maybe, you know, pull him your way, so to speak. And uh, But at the end of the day, you know, like if I tried to talk Coach Tanner into something, at the end of the day, um, it was his decision. And, uh, and so the pressure was off the assistant. When you become the head coach, it's all on your shoulders. Every decision that you make, whether it's, you know, from a personnel standpoint or what you're going to do with your program or where you're going to take your program, what direction is, is all on you. And, uh, and obviously Sean was, uh, I mean, I thought the world of him, uh, still do. Hey, we communicate from time to time. Uh, even when he was, you know, down at Georgia state, after big wins, he would shoot me a text or I'd shoot him one. So there's a, there's a little bit of a bond there that we shared as both assistants and head coaches at South Carolina. He's a terrific, terrific guy. And you're right, being a head coach, man, it's uh, the buck stops with you. And um, But at, getting back to your question, I think you just have to be true to yourself and follow your own heart and can't try to follow the heart of someone else's or who, who was before you. 
Um, you, you have to be yourself. And uh, sometimes that's plenty good enough. Um, um, unfortunately, when I was in South Carolina, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't quite good enough. But, but still had to be myself and do things the way that we felt or I felt was the proper way to do it. Yeah, I mean, when, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, now, but now he has to be an assistant again for, yeah. for a guy that he was an assistant with. <laughs> hey, there's a lot less headaches being an assistant coach. Yep. And there's a lot of coaches out there that's done both that actually enjoy being an assistant more. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Number of them uh, that I've spoken with. So he may be at that stage in his career where that's what he covets just to get out there on the field with his guys, not have to worry so much about talking to all the fundraising groups or raising NIL money for himself or doing it, you know, his personal contract. He probably is at a point where I want to be on the field with my players, get after it, coach, get into this, you know, get back into the, uh, the, the grassroots of why we all became coaches to be on the field, to develop personalities and relationships with our players and and that's the value of why we all wanted to get into coaching. And I think he probably covets that now. And that's this this move is going to allow him to do that. So one of the things that's going to end up being, as time goes on, I'm predicting, a major storyline in college athletics is that there will be more of this happening. And we've already seen it seen it in different versions in college football coach. Um, we've seen Jeff Halfley the head coach at Boston College, depart to be the OC for the Green Bay Packers. You got the Elliott situation. Chip Kelly left UCLA as a sitting head coach to go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Not that those are bad gigs. They're not. But, you know, kind of bouncing off what you just said there. And, you know, the, some of the immediate reaction to national media that in some of these guys I have zero respect for. But, you know, they 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 – come up with some sort of narrative saying tweet it out because it's cute you know you gotta you gotta get the cute tweets out coach uh you know he left two days into spring practice and they said well players can leave two days into spring practice right you know here's the difference sean Ellis could probably have to pay some money back for leaving but he's willing to do it these players they don't have to do that and and so like for the longest time they wanted to correct whatever issues they felt like they had from a player's standpoint i'm not talking about nil i'm talking about transfer portal okay and and then they overcorrected, and now they, they don't have done anything. You just do whatever the hell you want to do. And now coaches are going, you know what? I'm I, this this ain't worth it. You know, I'm going to lose jobs because my my starters are going to up in the middle of the night and decide to go play for our rivals and do all this. So now you're going to have an over overreaction on the coaches' side. And I just wonder where is this thing going to settle? Where somebody decides to step in and put some structure around it so we can stop some of this nonsense. Well, getting back to your, I mean, your point, the headaches of being a head coach are real. And um, whether it's at a mid-major level or the power five level, they're real. And sometimes coaches get sour with the responsibilities that have been put on in your lap because they're not being allowed to coach or mm -hmm. coach as much as they want to coach. And um, there's so many, you're getting pulled in so many different directions. Um, now you throw the NIL thing out there and, and you know, the timing of every single thing. Uh, I mean, there's the timing of moving from us from being a head coach to an assistant coach. The timing's never great when it comes to moving professionally. I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, uh, this is something uh, the timing is right for Sean, though. And at the end of the day, that's what's most important. 
from a spring practice standpoint, they can push the pause button. NCAA is going to allow them to get this time back. So it's no, it's not putting their kids at Georgia State um, in a, you know, against, you know, put their backs up against the wall. They're going to lose spring practice time. They're not going to lose spring practice time. They might lose some time, you know, defining who their head coach is going to be in their leader. But at the end of the day, coaches don't worry about the timing. They make the move that they feel is necessary for them professionally and for most importantly, their family. Um, and uh, that yeah. trumps the timing. And um, but, you know, I'm sure that's what it was all about for Sean. I don't care. You know, Sean might get in a press conference and say it's about this, about that. But knowing Sean Elliott, it's about family for sure. And, and his comfort level and his love for the University of South Carolina. Well, exactly. Those are those are those are certainly the two. I mean, I haven't talked to Sean, but uh, we can all pretty much figure this out around here. If you if you've had any experience with him, the family thing is. Um, yeah, I was mentioned. I mentioned earlier how he has now for years driven back and forth from Atlanta to Columbia. Uh, he's from Camden, but he's driven back and forth from Atlanta to Columbia to watch his son play football, watch his daughter cheerlead just to come see his wife, Summer. Um, you know, his family never moved to Atlanta with him, you know, officially moved or anything like that. And um, and so now he'll get to be home and be with them and in their lives every single day. I know he covets that, much like you do. Like, you've got your two kids who are off playing college baseball, and I know that's hard on you, but but as a college coach at any in any sport, uh, generally your family moves with you. I couldn't imagine – not having your family with you when you take a head job or take an assistance job or whatever it is somewhere else. Um, and, and he's coming back to a program, which, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, Shane a little bit. I mean, he really preaches that at South Carolina. You preached that at the college of Charleston coach Tanner preached that. I mean, year after year, after year, after ball games, it's in, in Columbia, South Carolina, what do families do? They walk down on the field, they take pictures with their, with dad and, and all that type of stuff, and that's what it's all about, you know. And 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 that's just the the snippet we see of the people that live together. I mean, here here he's been separated by hours from his family, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Well, and Shane and Sean are tight, so yeah, they, you know, having worked together and known each other for so long, they probably know what each other's all about when you're in a locker room or when you're in an office and you're strategizing or you're recruiting, and they know what makes makes each other tick. I'm sure. I'm sure Shane is. You know, incredibly excited about this as any Gamecock football fan would be, but more importantly, as leader of that program, he's got to feel like, obviously I have another head coach on staff. Now um, yeah. when we deal with certain decisions, I got a, I got another incredible resource in the room that I can bounce thoughts off of. Um, it's going to go way beyond just the X's and O's. Um, I'm sure uh, Sean will go a long way in making uh, Shane's life a lot easier and better. Um, so he can, you know, even be a better head coach. They'll, they'll work hand in hand together. It's obviously a great, great hire. And I couldn't be more excited for Sean because I know his heart was always there and uh, he loves that place. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of his. Well, I think we'll just get out in front of this now, JC and Mad Dog, uh, future chin music guest, Sean Elliott. That's coming. That's coming. Yeah, that's coming soon. I, I uh, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh, boom! There we go." And uh, you know, we, we we did have we did have Jackie Bradley Jr. on this week. We're having a little bit of a technical issue with Jackie. We had an incredible conversation. Um, yeah, I don't have a date when I'm gonna release that yet, but Jackie was great. I was Sean's gonna be great. I got a um, a grand slam coming here real soon with uh, 
uh, certainly a Mount Rushmore person in Gamecock athletics and can't wait mm. to share that. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're fired up about Chin music, fired up about the opening of college baseball and getting our team out on the field tomorrow. And uh, so it's a, it's a fun time to be a college baseball coach for sure. Yeah. Let's turn our attention there. What, do you have a most memorable opening day? You know, my first one is the head coach at South Carolina was, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was a fun one. I mean, we, we were playing a really good team too. And um, so that, I mean, I remember opening days are always like, oh, man, I mean, it, you almost feel numb, because, numb with excitement. Cause you, you can say, well, Hey, on paper, we look like we're this good. We're, you know, we've got a good team. You don't ever really know until Wait, you see your team perform was against you- another team. Not to, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Was your am I remembering this correctly? Was your first opening day against Toman? Yeah, Liberty. Yeah, yeah, Liberty. <laughs> but you know, the most memorable opening day for me, though, honestly, yeah. was in an assistant coach in the first game yeah. that we played in Founders Park. And that was the first game ever played there, and uh, I think played Duquesne, yeah. I believe. And um, and and you know, walking out on that field for that opening day in the first game that ever was played on that surface. And seeing the sold out crowd, uh, and seeing you know, <laughs> always baseball is a huge deal in Columbia, South Carolina. But when you walk out to coach third base in front of a brand new stadium in a sold out venue, uh, and you hear the roar when your team takes the field, you still get chills. And uh, yeah, I, I knew that very moment, that first day at Founders Park, that baseball is different in Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, isn't it? It's something. <laughs> Uh, we'll be, we'll be there tomorrow and, uh, we're looking, we're looking forward to that. So Jackie, uh, I don't, you don't have to share any of the stories. Um, do what? I'd love to, I'd love to share a few of them for sure. Cause the we were podcast? In, oh yeah. Well, the, the you know, we're oh. working on some things because that gum, he was on alligator alley driving across the state of Florida and we were in and out from time to time. We had to push the pause button from time to time, but boy, at the heart of the conversation, it was so good to get back with him and reconnect with him, even though we've been in contact over the years. But, you know, just to remember the few of the things that took place in his career at South Carolina that not many people know about, that was really, really cool for me as a coach. Yeah, he's a he, – I think the one – when I, every time I think about Jackie, I think about his, his crazy uncle. You remember his crazy uncle? Jackie and his family were beautiful. I mean, they are. And uh, we had a great recruiting story with him. I mean, uh, you know, and me and Coach Tanner. And actually, you know, I was actually recruiting at North Carolina uh, and coaching at North Carolina time. And Coach Tanner actually called me and said, hey, uh, this is before I ever agreed to come to Columbia. Called me and said, hey, I need an outfielder in a bad way. And that happened to be that particular year. At North Carolina, we didn't need one. We were full. Didn't have any more room for an outfielder. And I was like, I said, Coach, there's this kid up in Richmond that plays his tail off, but no one's really recruiting him, and I don't really understand why. Every time I go watch his team play, he's my favorite player on the field. And he happened to be playing the next day in Atlanta, Georgia, and me and Ray were in Atlanta. I said, why don't you meet me at the field and watch him play? Let me see what you think. And and literally – he met me at Georgia Polytechnical School. I mean, it was Richmond Braves were playing another team. It was 90 million degrees. It was hot. And uh, sat with Coach Tanner. And uh, it took about three innings and said, you're right, I'll take this guy. I'll take this guy. <laughs> and uh, what, a, what a great decision that was. Who else was recruiting him? You know, I honestly think it came down. It was like William and Mary, VMI, 
He was not very highly recruited. And it kind of goes along the same, you know, our same podcast with Whit Merrifield. Whit wasn't, I mean, Whit was recruited and he was probably more on the national scene than Jackie was, but not, not, not much. Um, uh, Jackie was just looking at staying at a mid-major. I couldn't understand why the University of Virginia wasn't recruiting him. Um, he mm. just, you know, but if you watch, you know, if you watch him run the 60 as a junior in high school, you're not blown away with his speed. If you watch him take batting practice, you're not blown away with his power. And that's parallel with Witt. They were both like that. But so some of the big boys didn't recruit him. Um, but then you watch him play game after game and you see the instincts and you see how he's, how good he is in center field. And you see the kinds of bats he put together, you know, at the amateur level. And, and, and you, he always had a flair for the dramatic as well. Um, he had a supreme confidence in himself and one of the, one of the most tender, coolest hearts I've ever coached and uh, an impressive, impressive human being. I think the thing that I love about Jackie is he's never changed. Never, since, never. I mean, he's been the same dude yep. no matter what he's been through, everything that he's achieved. You know, think, think about this, and people, you know, get on Jackie about, you know, it, it, obviously offensively in, in Major League Baseball, he didn't hit the way I felt he was capable of or the way he probably wanted to. But think about this for a minute. He, he won a gold glove. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a 2018, I believe, American League Championship Series MVP. He was a major league all-star. And he won a World Series championship. How many people, not many people can say they won multiple College World Series championships and a World Series championship at major league, in the Major League Baseball level. Not many people can say that. So I, I had to – baseball – Jackie's been very, very good for, for baseball, but man, baseball's been good to Jackie too. And, and you know, what a career he's had. I'm awfully proud of him. And now he's a dad and a great husband and a great father to his kids. Uh, it's, uh, it was true joy talking with him. So I think one of the neatest things that we do around here is allow people to, um, <clears throat> for, for those that aren't maybe as familiar with the ins and outs of different sports, like what I'm about to say to you, baseball for, you know, getting to jump on balls and stuff like that. So you mentioned some of the things that, that maybe Jackie was dinged for in the recruiting process, you know, the, running that flat line 60 and, and this, that, and the other, Jackie's not a real big guy. He's definitely gotten bigger in, in the big leagues, uh, but, but he's not a real big guy or anything like that. So, I mean, he didn't grow like six inches when he got to major league baseball. I'm not, I'm not saying that he got, he got beefy, but, um, but one of the things that always made Jackie, I, th- I thought when he played in, in Major League Baseball, not because I know Jackie or because he played at South Carolina or anything like that, just watching him play center field, I, I truly felt like he was one of the top two or three center fielders in the game. And it, was because, it wasn't because he could just outrun everybody. He was more like Andrew Jones because he got a better jump on the ball. When, 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 you're, when, you're, when you're coaching, when you're coaching outfielders and trying to teach them how to get that that first step, that extra step, be able to read it off the bat. Like, can you walk us through that? I, I just think it'd be a, a neat learning experience for our audience to hear, like, what is getting a good jump on the ball? Well, here's what, you know, the I had the best seat in the house every day because I didn't throw much BP at South Carolina. So I got to sit behind the cage and watch from home plate out. And I could see the hitter, Coach Tanner throwing bat in practice, and the center fielder. And you could literally see – every jump that Jackie got. Jackie had the unique ability to move maybe as the ball's hit or maybe even right before it based on where the pitch is going. He had a unique 
oh man, I mean, his first step was incredible. Now, some of that you can't teach, but here's what he was so good at. As soon as the ball's hit, he could run to us. He could, he could put his head down, run to a spot on the field where that ball was going to land and not look back at the ball. So the, only the few great ones can do that. I mean, I, I remember many times the ball's hitting him over him head, over his head and him turning around and running and not looking back and sticking his glove out. I, I, rem, I mean, he, yeah, we all see the highlights he has on YouTube and stuff, the way he performs defensively, but I got to see so many things that were almost near impossible daily watching him watching him track balls in BP. How do you get better at that? You do what we did at South Carolina, which is very unique, is during batting practice, it's as important defensive practices as batting practice, and our outfielders were going after everything. And if a ball dropped that Coach Tanner thought it should have been caught, he would get the proverbial whistle. and You, you didn't get yelled at. You just get a whistle, and you knew that was a mark against you. And, boy, if Jackie got a whistle – he, he was going to be arguing with Coach Tanner that ain't nobody catching that one. You know, I mean, that was – and that's just – he practiced like – he practiced like that daily with every batted ball and batting practice. He treated it like a game, and he got better and better and better, even though he was good the minute he stepped on campus. He, he went from good to great. Gold Glover, obviously, and many said, even though he should have had way more than one Gold Glove, the best defensive center fielder in Major League Baseball during his time um, – but it was fun to watch him practice every day. And I used to tell all our players, like one of the things in outfield play is, hey, it's better to be late with your jump than to be – it's better, better to be late and correct with your jump than early and wrong. And Jackie goes, I'm going to be early and right. So that was that's, – and that's the way he played center field. Again, this goes back to what we were talking about last week. That group of dudes – there was a lot of confidence in that group of dudes that played I, South know, Carolina. I hope one day, man, me and you can spend like an hour and a half. To, you know, I don't know if you're reading on the, on Instagram about Jake Williams. I encourage all Gamecock fans to follow Jake. But they're doing a documentary on those two teams, and it's going to be done in, in the most impressive way. Gamecock fans are going to die watching it. Um, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, there will be tear-jerking moments. There's going to be funny moments. What Jake, uh, what Jake is doing, I think, with the help of ESPN and the SEC Network, is phenomenal. Um, and maybe you know, when we roll that, when when they roll that that video out of those two teams, um, maybe we need to do something really, really cool to honor those guys because they're they're they were <laughs> insanely confident. I mean, insanely confident. And uh, it goes from wet. I mean. Witt wanted to fight Coach Tanner the first day of practice when he moved in from center field to right field because Jackie had arrived. I mean, it was almost World War, Civil War in that, in that locker room, you know, because Witt thought he was pretty damn good, and he was, you know. And uh, in comes Jackie a year later, and now nah, we're going to move this center fielder from this freshman. You're going to move him to right. Oh, by the way, they're both major league all-stars, by the way. And, uh, you know, and, and it's just crazy. And then you have Adrian Morales over there at third telling them all ball and shut up and quit arguing because, you know, he was five foot nothing and couldn't hit a ball, but thought he was Babe Ruth. And, uh, I mean, it just goes every player on that team. It was, man, what an experience being around those guys. And even reconnecting with him and talking to him about some of the things that we remember those three years when he was at school, Jackie was in Columbia. Uh, man, it does my heart good. And I'm sure it'll do uh, the hearts good of all Gamecock baseball fans as well.
Well, just baseball fans in general. I, I mean, th- again, that run was special with a bunch of special dudes. I think that it's coming out in 25, right? 2025, aren't they releasing yeah, that? Yeah, and it's, I'm telling you guys, y'all are in for a treat. I mean, it's going to be like – I mean, in, within the Gamecock circles, it's going to be like the last dance. You know, I mean, it, it's it's yeah. moving. It is moving. Is, is Ray Tanner going to have a, a line where he goes – and I took that personally <laughs> <laughs> about Jack Luggett or something like that. Is Jack Luggett going to be in this? I didn't even get into the heated bat with Jackie the other day. I should. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, we're going to have to re-record a little bit of it anyway because of our wildest. Maybe bring that up. I'll bring that up for sure. Because it was Jackie that he first they first accused of heating the bat first up. swing right? of the game, a home run opposite field. <laughs> and I think the catcher at Clemson leaned over to pick up the bat, and it was a little bit hot to touch. <laughs> and uh, and but you know, but people didn't understand at that time is like once we got to the park on cold days, literally our players at that time would put all their bats out in the grass, and it was a yeah. sunny day. They just put them out in the grass, and they just sit there on cold yeah. days because they didn't want to feel the you know the tingling of their hands when they got a cold bat in their hand. And uh, obviously, there's nothing in the rule book about a warm bat, but um, it was that was a, that was fun. I'll never, I'll never forget all that, and thinking to myself, man, because I, you know, I don't, I don't know Coach Leggett very well. I mean, I've met him once. I know he's he really boogered up a lot of recruiting situations over the years of guys that ended up at South Carolina and other places. Um, and at that point in time, you know, outside of some wins here and there, anything that mattered, Coach, you know, Coach Tanner, as it went on to prove, was kicking his rear end. Here, here's, what just, you here's what you don't do. You want to be in a fight? Accuse Ray Tanner of cheating. Right, yeah, right, You'll exactly. You'll get in a yeah. fight. There'll be a fight. Or, <laughs> or, you, or accuse him of being unethical. There's going to be a fight. Right. And, uh, yeah. and I'll never forget one of the great things about that story was, you know, we had a delay between games. I think we played – it's supposed to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday – one of the games got rained out, and we weren't going to be able to play game three until Tuesday in Greenville. So the deciding game was going to be in Greenville. So we had a day in between. And um, Coach Tanner got the team together on the day before the game and said, hey, y'all win this game tomorrow. I got your back. I and mean, that's all he said at practice. And I knew if we won, he was going to speak his mind. And uh, and he did. What a great! And he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, you don't. You don't. You don't. You don't accuse Coach Tanner of doing things that are unethical. That's no, no, no. If there's anybody who's going to do it the right way, it's yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. No so um, this this state is. Uh, we'll let you go here in the next minute or two. This state is is second to none when it comes to college baseball. I mean, I. I, I mean, you grew up in North Carolina, so obviously, you know, it's a tremendous baseball state as well with all the history that's up there. Um, the state of Mississippi, for my money, is an outstanding baseball state, uh, and we could probably name some, uh, I mean, clearly Florida and things like that. But but there's just there's just not a whole lot out there that rivals the passion of college baseball in this state. And as small as it is, with successful programs, clearly South Carolina and Clemson, Coastals won their national championship, but proud programs. College of Charleston, like where you're at. I mean, College of Charleston has extensive history from Ralph Civitary through you. Um, the Citadel and what they've done. It's still probably the most improbable run to Omaha in the history of the sport. Them going back in 1990 uh, and all those type things. How, how do you uh, 
as you're set to embark on this year's journey, being the head coach at the College of Charleston, when you look around you at your peers and the programs that are also going to throw first pitches this weekend, you know, what, what do you see from your standpoint? How do, you, how do you describe college baseball here in the Palmetto State? Well, it's, un, it's unlike any other state. I, I know Mississippi, Mississippi State and Ole Miss are very passionate as well. But, uh, you know, down in Baton Rouge, they're passionate about their baseball team too. But across the whole state, I think South Carolina is very unique. Um, not only do we have great programs and great coaches, um, but we have people that really, really care. I mean – I said this, everybody, when I got to Columbia, people said, what was the difference between coaching at North Carolina and South Carolina? Well, the first thing that came to my mind at that time, now things are different now, but at that time, the thing, the thing that came to my mind was, you know, sometimes when you lose a college baseball game in North Carolina, nobody knows you lost. You lose at South Carolina, you lose a game. Everybody in the damn state knows you lost. And, uh, and it's because of the passion of fan base but it's a passion. I mean, you can go to a, a game at Ballpark Road in Lexington, South Carolina, and watch 14-year-olds play. There's a there's a different passion for the sport in this state that makes it very, very unique. And you, and you couple great coaches, great players, great programs, great high school coaches, great high school programs. It's from It goes from well below the college level, uh, creates a great atmosphere for our sport. You couldn't coach in a better state. Couldn't coach – this sport is the best sport to coach in our state, in my opinion, um, because I'm, I'm biased because I know the state loves our sport, loves baseball. And uh, I've all been awfully lucky to be in Columbia and spend some incredible time there. But but being down here in Charleston, you get a sense there's people love it here, too. And uh, oh, yeah. very, very refreshing. Yeah, as, as you met, there's great people involved in baseball in this state, man. And great, um, no doubt. great people. And I appreciate people. I appreciate, you, you know. Not that our sport needs much promotion in 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 um, in the media world, I guess, because people are going to show up. But y'all even giving it more, and and you promoting the sport, and and it, the media plays a huge part in in the promotion of college baseball. Because believe me, I've been in a state where there wasn't much media promotion, and yeah. uh, and and that often plays a difference. I think when you think about, I mean, think about this. I think when we were playing UCLA for the national championship. We had 42 media credentials requested, I believe, the night for the national championship game. UCLA, which is in Los Angeles, the, one of the biggest cities in little old Columbia in UCLA. Columbia had 42 media requests. I think UCLA had seven. Whoa. Yeah. How about, wow. how about Yeah. Wow. So just means more. You know the saying. It just means more. Yeah, right? I right. always thought that was fascinating. And here's one other thought. How about this? We used to use this in recruiting. The University of South Carolina, a couple of years I was there, sold more season tickets than three or four major league baseball teams. And I remember for sure we sold more tickets than the Miami Marlins and I believe the Oakland A's. So, had to be uh, that. Had to be the A's. Yeah. So, Man. so I mean, we all we always use that as a, in a recruiting tool. Hey, it, it, when you walk into this park, you have a, a number of people behind you, and if you don't believe me, we've sold more season tickets than folks in the big leagues have. And uh, that was true back in, in, in you know, those post-national championship teams. Well, Coach, uh, we, we just can't wait much longer, man. We're one day away. I, somebody, Matt, in the uh, chat box said he's bringing his son to y'all's game on Saturday. Awesome. Um, awesome. So, uh, Matt. Well, make sure y'all do something for me tomorrow on opening day. Say say hey to the people that, that I know up there. I miss, oh, yeah. a lot of those, I miss a lot of those great folks and – 
tell tell them Jen and Chad said hey and uh, and uh, if you happen to see Coach Elliott or Coach Beamer, tell them I'll be in touch with them because uh, we need them on Pin Music. <laughs> yeah, first I think they've got a, a board of trustees meeting to approve Coach Elliott's contract tomorrow, and then uh, after that we're gonna get him in the car, him and him and Shane, and bring him on down so they can tag team a, a Chin Music. Yeah, no, they're down here. They're down here enough. I know. Yeah. I know. I know their deal. They like to come to halls on yeah. King Street. Oh, and by the way, I'll leave with this: February, February twenty sixth. One of the coolest things for me for our Chin Music episode is we're having Billy and Tommy Hall in my house, and we're going to talk about the journey of Hall's Chop House, what makes it so special, all the innuendos of Hall's, and uh, what makes it so unique. And uh, I think that'll be a fascinating episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ask about Sean Miller. <laughs> was he or was he not? Yeah, man, I, I, I love this. I, I, the one in Green I, when I lived in Greenville, that was one of my favorite places to go. It's a, a good stake, but you can get it's a good happy hour scene too up there. It's a, well, yeah, and I don't, I'm partial because I, I live in Charleston, but it's kind of sure. like somebody asked me the other day about King Street Halls. I'm like, it's, it's, it's like the Rose Bowl, it's the granddaddy of them all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 434 King is like the granddaddy of them all. Love it's it. just different. Yeah, it's just different. <laughs> and and it's really different on a Friday night around 11 o'clock. If you, have, if you haven't been there, drop in. You'll see what I'm talking about. Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you'll see. Um, yeah, well, you talk about people that know things. The halls know things. Ooh. Those are those are the people that know things. You know, yeah. uh, if they, if they ever really wanted to. I cannot wait to talk to them. Two of my favorite people. Well, you're one of ours, and we're really fired up for you to, to get things cranked up tomorrow, man. Can't wait. <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to to getting my kids out there to um, to watch y'all play some baseball this spring. And uh, actually, here in the next couple of weeks, I'll get with you and, and, and so we can get them down by the ballpark. But thanks for everything. I really appreciate you appreciate commenting you. on Sean and all that stuff, oh, too. I know awesome. it was kind of a curveball. but oh, Awesome. Well, man, know. I appreciate y'all having me on. Go Cougs. Go Cox, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you All soon. right, Coach. Thanks, man. Thanks, Coach. Chad Oldbrook, head baseball coach at the College of Charleston. So we're, we're way past due, and we got to go and hit that timeout. But Mike Morgan is waiting patiently, and he'll be here when we get back. Hoops, Elliot, baseball, and more with the Golden Tones here on Inside the Gamecock. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a Southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in southern soil, are crafted by southern hands, and proudly represent the South in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. 
It's the season of love, and there's no sweeter time and place to feel it than today at Love Chevrolet, the heart-pounding rumble of the Silverado High Country, the captivating 2024 Chevy Trax SUV, most affordable in its class. No matter what features you're looking for in a brand new Chevy, your match is waiting for you right now at Love Chevy. In this 63rd season of love, your trusted hometown Chevy dealer is proud to carry on the tradition of honesty, integrity, and treating customers like family. No fast talk, no gimmicks, no ridiculous add-on stickers. Simply the best selection of new Chevys at South Carolina's number one volume Chevy dealer right now. And ready to drive home today. Don't forget about the $1,000 low price guarantee. Wow, there's a lot to love about Love Chevy. I-26 at Harbison and at lovechevy.com. Together, let's drive. That's the power. Electric Bikes of Charleston offers the most fun you'll ever have on two wheels. Magnum, Velotri, Conventon Bikes, and more. And they sell to consumers all across the state and offer outstanding warranties and service after the sale. Five levels of pedal assist plus a throttle help you handle the southern heat better but still get great exercise. Bikes are available all ages and sizes. ElectricBikesCharleston.com or stop into their store in Mount Pleasant. Electric Bikes of Charleston, powering inside the Gamecocks, the show. Hey Gamecock Nation, my name is Kyle, longtime listener of the show and avid golfer. I wanted to take my game to the next level, but let's face it, golf is a hard game to learn on your own. I heard the ad from McKellar Enterprises and reached out to the owner and former Gamecock golfer, Meredith Taylor. In just two months of working with Meredith, I shot my lowest round ever, and I've never felt more confident in my golf game. So if you're looking to take your game to the next level, go to McKellarEnterprises.org and book your lesson today with former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor. Go Gamecocks. You can find it at the ballpark. Billy G's Carolina Barbecue will be the official barbecue of South 
Carolina baseball this season, but not beginning tomorrow, uh, beginning next week. They had uh, prior commitments prior to signing that contract, but we cannot wait to eat Billy G's Carolina barbecue at Founders Park as they will be providing brisket and barbecue and mac and cheese and you name it it's going to be there you can also order the sweet heat sauce and the carolina gold mustard based sauce and the uh, secret spice rub as well and have it delivered to your home carolina barbecue sauce.com carolina barbecue sauce.com billy g's carolina barbecue to order your catering needs as well and uh we've got graduation season coming up so don't forget to if you need to book them book them now G's Carolina Barbecue presenting the national anthem on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. JC will be back here in just a moment, joined now by Mike Morgan, the golden tones of the great Mike Morgan, ahead of opening day in college baseball. The breaking news of the day pertaining to South Carolina is the hiring of Sean Elliott, now former head coach at Georgia State, to be the run game coordinator and the tight ends coach for Shane Beamer. We'll come back to that here in just a little while as we did spend about 30 minutes of the first hour on it, but uh, we'll lead off with hoops with Mike. Carolina on the plains of Auburn last night took a blank whipping by the Tigers. It was uh, whew, it was something. 101-61, to 61, the final score there. Mike really didn't affect much. Uh, I mean, they're, they're still well into the tournament and all those type things, but Auburn has been doing that. I don't know about that bad, but they've been doing it like that to everybody that has walked into that gym now for three years. They're like 43 and two or something ridiculous at Neville. And you, you have been beating the drum for that place for a while around here and not just the atmosphere, but how this, this Auburn team feeds off of the atmosphere. They're like, they're like an NBA squad when they play in there. It's crazy. Good afternoon, guys. Um, yeah, they are, uh, I said this five years ago, and I guess their social media picked it up. You know, it, you, sometimes um, you try to find somebody with kind of an unbiased opinion that says something nice about your your team or your school or your crowd. And, and um, I basically said four or five years ago doing one of their games with Jimmy Dykes that I, this has now become one of the best uh, and inti- most intimidating home court environments in college basketball. And I meant it when I said it then, and I, I mean it today. And it, what what makes that so significant is because I go back to the old Beard Eves Memorial Coliseum, uh, uh, the games that I that I called there, going back to gosh when it was Jeff Lebo, former Eddie Fogler assistant at South Carolina, mm. um, and and all, so many coaches in between that that just could not crack the code. Uh, Bruce gets there, and again, Bruce did what he did at Tennessee. I mean, he turned a moribund program in Knoxville into a winner where people couldn't buy enough tickets, and uh, he turned Auburn, who many people thought was the worst job in the SEC at the time. Um, and he took it, and he's taken him to a Final Four. He's won multiple SEC championships. Um, so, yeah. So the game itself, you know, what I would tell Gamecock fans – uh, as somebody who's been doing this a while and I see every team, the very best teams in this league, we, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about how good the league is, will have what I call a mulligan game where just nothing goes your right, your way and you get smoked. And yeah. it, it, it happens to everybody. It happens to everybody and almost always it happens on the road. 
can mm-hmm. happen at home, but almost always happens on the road. This is a Carolina team that was playing with house money that really didn't have. I mean, even even if you go back to the Alabama game, it was one awful half, not two. But you really hadn't had a game where this team just got smoked from the opening tip on. And everybody has one, and this was theirs. I thought this was the most difficult game left on the schedule at that point uh, because the Tennessee game is at home, and we already saw what Carolina was able to do in Knoxville. Uh, it won't be the last loss for the Gamecocks, but uh, it, it, it's you just you brush it off. It doesn't kill you metric-wise. We were talking so much about the net last week. Well, how come we can't get in the 30s and the 20s? Well, by the same token, that loss, as I mentioned, was not going to hurt you that much. It's a quad one loss to a really good team on the road. So uh, yeah. I wouldn't sweat it. I wouldn't start. Uh, I'm still bullish on this team, to, to use a stock market reference, and uh, I wouldn't overreact. You know, it, we're embarking upon baseball, and I caught the, the tail end of the, the Chad Holbrook interview, which was great as always. Um there are some fans that are kind of late to the game on baseball, like that jumped on the bandwagon when the program got good. And, and they, they approach every loss in baseball the way, it, like it's a football Saturday. These are two sports you cannot ride that emotional coaster like you do for 12 Saturdays in a college football season because it's just not the same type of sport, and you, it'll drive yourself nuts, and you'll need therapy. So my advice is, and a game like this, true. I mean, it's it's so true. Like really, I mean, you just you're you're going to sit there if you're going to just ride that roller coaster emotionally in baseball and basketball. You're going to be really cutting years off your life, and we don't encourage yeah. that here on ITG. We just no. I like to no. think this Trying is to build uh, yeah. this is about mental and health and physical wellness as w- as much as we do anything on this show. So <laughs> brush it off. It's a mulligan. Two, two, two on the first tee and go right back, and there's plenty of wins left on this schedule and still has a chance to be a memorable year. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. go ahead, JC. I, I was going to say, and then the, the, I am I, – I know I picked the Gamecocks at the end of the, of the show yesterday because you guys put me on the spot, but I'll be honest, I didn't feel good about it. I didn't, I didn't feel – I started thinking about this game. Well, Hope uh, was right. After, after I broke my phone in Vegas on Saturday – because I didn't have anything else to do, so I started dwelling on Carolina basketball and and uh, and other stuff. Um, and uh, and I start I started feeling bad about it. I, mean, I got depressed. I was like, that team at Auburn when they play at home, they are a B, a bunch of BMFs. And if you guys don't know what that stands for, it's bad bad, bad mother know, fudgers. Uh, yeah. it's, Rent it's, Pulp it's, Fiction. It, it's on, it's a, are you if you ever hang out with me, just look at my wallet because it's, it says that. Um, did you know that, Mike? Did you know I have a wallet that says Yeah, that? you showed it to me. And oh, I yeah. get the reference. It's oh, Samuel yeah, Jackson yeah, and Pulp Fiction, of course. Nat, Who are you talking Nat to? It, Nat bought it for me during the pandemic. I was just sitting here bored one day. I was like, hey, I, I, I'd like this wallet. And she bought it for me. So it's another reason awesome. why, I'm, why I married that woman. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm sitting there dwelling on it. I was like, when Auburn plays at home, it doesn't matter who's gone in there. The mighty Crimson Tide went in there and got smoked. Everybody's gotten smoked. South Carolina has played really good basketball for the most part. Lamont Paris said there he's talking about things being sustainable. You just had to wonder, like, are they due for a bad game like every team has? They had a bad half against Vandy Saturday and then took care of business. Um, and you had to look at Auburn after they got beat by Florida on the road because they're a different team on the road and had to know they're licking their chops. And Bruce Pearl's style of play – they can speed. They speed you up with their defense and their athleticism. 
Uh, and then on top of everything else, man, they shot 60% from three. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was what I was wild. Broom, broom yeah. throws up. Looks like he's just taking a warm up shot in the second half. Swish, swish, swish. Um, well, and, and so, so my point of all that is I'm glad LSU is a good team to be coming in. LSU, I saw them play. I watched, they were on the other TV when Carolina was playing Vandy on Saturday. So I got to watch both. LSU's really good at scoring when nobody defends them. They don't really like to be defended and they don't really like to play defense. Um, I think it kind of bodes well for Carolina stylistically, especially being at home. I am glad, though, they don't have to go to AM or Ole Miss next. Because what you want to do is you want to put a stop to this right now. You want to say that was one game, bounce back, win. And then you got a week off, and then you got at in Oxford in College Station the next uh, the following group of two games. Uh, I, I think I think I think the schedule's doing Carolina some favors having LSU coming in this weekend. Not that they can't win and beat Carolina, but I think it's a better matchup than it would be having to turn right back around and go to Oxford or to College Station right now. Yeah. I, so first of all, there's a couple things here, Mike. I don't know if you know these stats. I'm gonna throw two stats at you, and if you, if you haven't seen them yet, you're gonna be like, huh. Um, because those are the huh, stats that uh, you don't see often. First point, I thought Lamont after the game last night, it was a, it was really, really a brilliant comment in how he made it. He said, ah, it's actually kind of better. It worked out this way. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, there's nothing for me to tell him. You got your rear ends kicked. Let's go home and uh, let's go play ball on Saturday. Won't even look you know? at the film. Yeah, like, this isn't. You know what I mean? Like, we walked in the door. We got our ass beat. We're going to go home now. Okay, that's one side. The other side, to your point, let's not even look at the film. There are two things that happened in this game last night that I feel like, Mike, to your point, literally would have happened to any team that walked into that gym last night because it's Neville Arena, and it is not this brand of basketball that Carolina plays. They had five. Five assists total. As a team, Michi Johnson, the last uh, like six games, has been averaging six a game himself. Mm-hmm. And they had five as a team. And I said Michi, by the way, not Talon Cooper. And the other stat, 39 to one. Does anybody Bench. know what that references? Bench points. I was about to bring Bench that up. Points. Carolina got nothing. <laughs> Nothing from those guys all decided to play terrible. The the, Josh Gray looked like Josh Gray for two years ago. uh, uh, It was not Jacoby Wright's best game. Uh, They got nothing from their bench. And Mike's pointed out, and you pointed out, Bradley, or Brad Bradley, Bradford, (laughs) Pat Bradley. The sharpshooter. No, uh, you you guys have both pointed out uh, following SEC basketball on the show. That Auburn, they play like 20, well, I mean, 10 guys, 14 minutes each, 11 guys, 14 minutes each. Uh, and so their second group, I think, overwhelmed Carolina's second group. I mean, they, not Miles Studi got nothing and played bad. Uh, you know, I know Clark and, and, and Bosman's Verdon got in at the end, but those core guys that have been allowing Lamont to go nine deep on his bench, they just had bad games. Zach Davis did not have a good game offensively. Um, you know, and and I thought that was probably Talon Cooper's worst game of the season. They that Auburn had a really good plan to slow Talon Cooper. He couldn't get anything going with his shot. Um, you know, could, even when he had a nice drive, he you know in and out on the layup. It just it was not his night. So if Talon Cooper's not going, if you're not getting assists, and you're getting outscored thirty nine to one by the bench, 
and the other team's hitting 60% from three point. I don't, I don't know how you even expect to win or uh, like Lamont said, like you've said, how you even take anything away from that game, you know, because, because those are the uh, has got to play better. Got to get more from the bench. Got to not let them shoot 60% and you know, all that good stuff. So I, uh, it was just, it was just a snowball effect with the game. It's, it's Mike. It's just like baseball, right? You walk on the field sometimes as one of the best teams in the country you walk off the field, you got beat 15 to nothing, and your coach walks into the dugout, and whoever it is, King, Tanner, you name whatever baseball coach you want to eat, and they look around, and they go, go home, we'll see you tomorrow. There's nothing to talk about. You just got to well, there's, yeah, there's an expression I've heard in many a dugout over my time, and that is flush it. Two words, yeah. yep. flush it. Um it's used more in baseball vernacular. It applies sometimes in a basket. Football, you can't flush anything. Football, every game truly is life or death. It's it's the nature of being a once-a-week sport, and you only get 12 of them. Uh, football and basketball are just wired differently. The other thing that's different about it, too, is that um, basketball is the ultimate complementary sport. So it's it's a lot easier to snowball. Uh, to stay with me on this. Like, football... Obviously, your offense could put you in bad field position, but if the defense is going to, if they're a dominating defense, they could be very dominating regardless of how good or bad your offense is. Okay. And in baseball, you could have an offense that is in a collective slump, much like the Braves used to do. It seemed like every time they'd go in a slump, it'd be like all nine guys would just pick the same two weeks to do it. Um, but you could go yeah. in a collective baseball slump, but that doesn't affect your ace pitcher. You know, you can be in a collective baseball slump, and Max Freed is still – he's still cutting guys up because he doesn't need you to hit well for him to be able to to excel on the mound. In basketball, everything snowballs. They're all interconnected. If you're not defending well, it carries over into your offense. If you're not playing good offense, it I can't tell you how many times this has happened where you watch a guy and he's struggling shooting the basketball, and what happens? He gets beat on D. Because mentally, he doesn't have time to like flush it. He just, he misses another shot. He's now one for eight. And now he goes back on defense. And he's thinking about the seven shots he missed. And he gets beat badly on defense. He doesn't rotate. He lets a guy blow by him. He doesn't contest a three. And so that's why basketball is the ultimate snowball sport. And you're just going to have you're going to have a game like this. And I'll tell I'll take you through. Think of it uh, from an Auburn standpoint here. So they have an emotional get-back game against Alabama at home, right? They lost in Tuscaloosa. Auburn-Alabama, and I'll tell you about the game I did last night because I was supposed to have an actual week off. Well, not a week off, but a, a Wednesday off, and I didn't. <laughs> um, but Auburn-Alabama has now become a great rivalry in basketball. Ten years ago, those were two laughing stocks. That's what coaching hires can do to, to build programs. So... Uh, Auburn comes back, you know, people are, 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 kids are sleeping in tents the night before, like they are right now at Auburn. They're doing the it Kentucky right game now. Saturday. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They, yeah. The moment after that game ended against Carolina, they're in tents. Yeah. Um, so they're doing that, and it's like, revenge, revenge, beat Bama, F and eight oats, F Alabama, War Eagle, screw the tide. They win the game. They're elated. Tumor's corner is rocking. Everybody's feeling great. They get on a plane. They play a Florida team that, you know, they're a bubble team. Florida's had some big wins. They're not. They're not to the. They're not a top twenty team. They get smoked in Gainesville. Smoked. Mm -hmm. That game was over from the first four minutes on. 
It's like, wait a minute, I thought Auburn was really good. They just beat Alabama, they're top 20, everybody's bragging about Bruce Pearl and everything. So now what? So now they go back home, and they play a South Carolina team that's no longer flying under the radar. You guys wanted to be in the top 25? Guess what? When you're number 11 in the country, you don't sneak up on people. Everybody's sharing. Well, I'm talking about Lamont Paris during a game last night that has nothing to do with the SEC or South Carolina. That's getting nas- That's national publicity. Um, so you don't sneak up on anybody. And the Auburn fans are like, damn, I didn't care about Carolina base- uh, basketball before, but I sure as hell do now. They're 11th in the country. Joe Lenardi's got him as a five seed. So Auburn doesn't need like a pep talk. They're up and they're juiced and they, and they smoke Carolina. That is the nature of the beast. Even with yep. really good teams, which is what we're labeling Auburn and Carolina now, that is how it can happen sometimes. And as J.C. mentioned, Gamecocks can bounce right back and take care of business at home. They've got a lot of winnable games left on that schedule. And still, all the goals and all the things we've talked about previously, nothing has changed. It's, it's one bad game, and you move on. That's perfectly said. Uh, two killer points in there. One is, yeah, you're one of the big dogs now. You're going to draw the crowds. You're going to draw the amped-up home court advantage in the whole nine yards. Not that there wasn't one already over there. You're going to draw everybody's best. I mean, they're getting up for you. They're getting up for you. That's a that's a hat tip. You know, you're good. And then, as you pointed out, the other, I mean, <clears throat> walking, any anybody that's disturbed by the loss last night, like it's going to be some lingering, and man, there might be lingering effects. I'm, I don't, I'm not saying there won't be. I'm not saying there won't be. But r- raise your hand if you would not have signed up a month ago, two months ago, six months ago, a year ago, it doesn't matter, pick any dot on the calendar, for 21 and 4 on February the 15th, 9 and 3 in the league. Uh and that's coming off of a 40 point loss at Auburn. Everybody would have said, "Gimme. Yeah. I'll take it in a heartbeat cuz nobody saw it." I mean, the, what was the Mike outside of South Carolina's fan base? What did you gather in the summer, early fall, you know, those type things when you would speak with basket the basketball people of the world, the, the writers, the whoever's covering the sport, other coaches. Like you talk to everybody, I know you do. And if if the Gamecocks ever came up, what did you gather was the perception of this program and what they thought maybe Lamont Paris could achieve in his second year? Oh, there was no buzz. There was no expectations. Um, I was one of the few people at SEC Media Days. Uh, our man John Whittle, the uh, – well-traveled, ubiquitous John Whittle was there, and Phil Kornblute was there. I don't know if anybody else from the state of South Carolina covered the event. Um, there you go, J.C. Blew that's, it. That's, well, no, J.C.'s got Whittle. He doesn't need to, they don't need two people from the Big Spur there. Why would I go to SEC basketball meetings? <laughs> I, I don't go to SEC football meetings. I'm retired. Now, 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 listen, for football, one day we will take the show there one day. Maybe not this year because it's in Dallas, but we were almost going to do it last year. Ooh, but, we, yeah, so I will, a, I will return. I will okay. return to media days when I'm on Radio Row. But I'm not going and sitting with that herd of herd of freaking people listening to stupid questions. And oh. and Baba Baba Burger from the Burger Bama blog, which you've never heard of, stand up. But Coach Saber just want to thank you, my family. Thanks you. We all thank you and roll tide. We just I love you. I name my daughter after you. And I'm from BurgerBama.com. Maybe you can check it out sometime. I'm just gonna tell you this. I just want to know why in the hell you went forward on third and two against Arkansas, and everybody knows you should punt. Thank you. Wasn't that? Was there really a question like that? Not long. Yes, ago? there oh, is man. every single year. Every year 
every year. I, I, well, it's because- I, I, I'm embarrassed for because they, they have a very liberal credential policy for that event. Oh, yeah. 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 There's yeah. no credential anybody. And so, um, you know, I <laughs> just... Uh, so, By the way, Casey, Burger- what could what could the bad Georgia loss cost them? What is it going to cost them? Just out of curiosity, nothing. What, what well, he says it it's going to cost them. What, what is it costing them? I, I, I'm I'm confused uh, on that. You mean like seating? I don't this think team's going cost. to this team's going to the tournament. So I, I don't. Yeah. I, I think as long as they take care of business, none of these losses hurt. I mean, you, 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 that's kind of something just to answer at the end of the year, where you can go back and say, ah, I could have had that one. A lot of times recently, though, with the way with the net, because the net counts every game the same, mm-hmm. your your bugaboos happen in December. If you want to yeah. get the truth, you're, you're like, you know, like Frank, when he was here, when you'd lose at home to uh, Albany, uh, the worst one ever was Stetson in, in a game. Stetson, right. Yeah. All the, I mean, they were, they were rolling. They're about like 10 and two, something like that. They'd had a, they'd beaten Virginia and Clemson back to back on the road. Did have a loss at home to Boston U, I think, earlier in the year. Boston U was pretty good. So you could you could survive that. And Stetson with an RPI or net ranking of about 330 comes in and 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 the team's kind of screwing around. And Frank sits down and about midway through the first first half and quits coaching. <laughs> and lets them lose by eight. I was like, that's a lesson learned. And that cost them. That that was the year that everything got canceled. But if you remember South Carolina, had they gotten one or two more wins, would have not been on the bubble or not been on the wrong side of the bubble heading in. So so in the net era, those early losses have really been, I think, would have been what's been costly for teams toward the end of the year. Now, now can South, you know, it's going to take more than just losing to Georgia uh, at home or that Auburn game to That's cost. That's not that bad a loss. Anyway, yeah, I mean, look, that, it's, uh, this is not Stetson. Like Georgia's not yeah. that bad a loss at all. They beat they beat Florida State on the road. Like I've had Georgia. I've got Georgia, Florida, uh, in Athens this Saturday. It would not surprise me at all that Georgia won that game. By the way, um, right again, when you say, "Well, wait a minute," now the net ranking has Carolina at what fifty. What is the number now? If the they dropped to 51. Okay. But keep keep but, in mind, but, efficiency has a lot to do with that, too. But Joe Lenardi has them as a five seed, right? Yeah, right. Still. Right. Okay. So we went over this last week. little tutorial on the net. Uh, if, the net was, if the net was just the committee and it was just a computer spitting out numbers, then start doing the math, four into 50, and Carolina would be like a 13 seed, right? But that that's that's not how it's determined. A committee of twelve people is smart enough to know a loss against Georgia is not a terrible loss at all. So th- that's not that's not that's gonna, the thing that's going to set this team back. And, if, and go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. No, it's the only they, they don't have any other Q two or Q three losses. It's yeah, Q three in South Carolina when you do Q one and Q two together. South Carolina has won just as many Q1 and two won just as many Q1 and Q2 games in the league. Uh, they're one, they're, they've won eight. Auburn's won nine. Tennessee's won ten. Kentucky six. Florida five. Mississippi State six. Uh, you know they won eight Q1 and Q2. Eight and three. They have the highest winning percentage against Q1 and Q2 of any team in the league. So that's why they're a five. Lenardi knows. Lenardi bases his on data, but he also bases it on sources. 
I seen well, that. I mean, and he, and he bases it on and and the what the committee thinks, and he knows how the committee, and I know how the committee thinks, and the committee doesn't just go straight off the net and said, well, there's fifty, so then we plug it in, divide that by four, and that's the seating. That's not how it works. A, a, a loss against Georgia, quad three, quad whatever, is a hell of a lot better than a loss against a random mid major that might also be quad three in November, December. And people that know basketball and know that the SEC is as good as any league in the country this year, they know that in that committee room. So they don't need the net to spell that out for them. So the the Georgia game is not going to – that's not going to be a major factor. The quad one, quad two wins are, right? Where this team finishes in the conference, that is a big factor. Uh, And then, of course, everybody wants to finish finish it off well. It's like having a dessert after a great meal. You don't want to go to a prime steakhouse and then have Jello for dessert. You want to have a nice uh, cheesecake, maybe a chocolate mousse. That's what you want to do in Nashville for the SEC tournament. Leave leave the committee with a good taste in its mouth to say, yeah, there's nothing flukish about this Carolina team. They proved it all year, and they're still playing good basketball. So don't sweat a home loss to which Texas A&M just went to Vanderbilt and lost. Yeah, I mean, well, that's what I was about to say. A and M's two and three in quad three, two and three in quad three opportunities this year. There's they, they, they won cleared, eight quad one and two. You've you've cleared the the bad loss category. I mean, an LSU loss wouldn't be a good loss, but uh, but you've still you've built up enough now. Kind of what Mike was saying, and everything that's remained. And here's the other thing too. Like I, I we have the conversations because we're in sports media, and so that's what drives a lot of what we do. We don't know what Georgia's loss is. There's still seven games left on the schedule for the Bulldogs to play. By the end of the year, you know, they've got for you just mentioned Florida coming to the house this weekend, but then they've got to go to Vanderbilt. They've got Auburn coming to town. They've got to go to LSU. Then they got AM Ole Miss back to back at home and at Auburn. Now that's one certainly looks unwinnable, uh, based on the way Auburn plays there. But at the end of the day, they have a bunch of opportunities too, Mike, and you've seen them up close and personal just like every program in the SEC does now in, in basketball. You have multiple opportunities to continue to bring your stock up and prove your value. So, you know, for all we know, in these last, you know, seven games of the year for Georgia, they they, they run out there and go four and three, and they finish the year at 18 and 13, and, you know, eight and 10 in the league, and they're in top 75 RPI or something like that. That's not a – there's no the, – it's nowhere it, near a bad loss. Yeah, yeah but I, I, everything you said is true, but we're getting way, hung up way too much on one data point of about 34 by the end of the season. So right, like the, exactly. To, to spend this much time on the Georgia game, which is not an embarrassing loss by any stretch, and and not focus on the bigger picture, which is yeah. the overall resume. Don't, don't, get, don't get caught in the weeds is what I would tell well, people listening right now. <laughs> Don't get yeah. fixated on that one game. That's that's ridiculous. Hey, Carolina's still tied for first for the SEC. Reminder to everyone that the SEC does award a trophy. Well, they're they're, they're half it, game back, but but oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Alabama's nine and two because they they didn't play this week. Well, but they'll uh, cut the reminder, trophy in half. Yeah. Well, now they there's there's a tra- in, in hey, half hey, half even if Carolina finishes tied for first with Alabama and Auburn with an zero and two record against those two teams, the Gamecocks will get a trophy as the co-champions. That's how they do it. That's what was so big in 97 when the game cost won at Rupp. They had wrapped up the co-championship, but at Kentucky won, they'd had to share it. Won it. Um, yeah. Now, Carolina will be the third seed in the, the seeding in the tournaments to turn by to remember that. Uh, but let's talk about championships. So, so here, here's my theory. Well, hold These on, ne- hold on, hold on. Can, can you, hold, we got to hit a, we got to hit a break here. We're, yeah, we're long. The, 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 ne- the next three. All right. So, so, so there's no, but, 
hold make on. or break. These next three are make or break as far as cha the SEC championship goes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hold that thought. And when we, when we get back from a timeout, you can take it from there. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Chicken cock originated in Kentucky, like so many other bourbons. And so the resurrection of it, you know, Paris, Kentucky, that's the county seat of Bourbon County. So much of this whiskey was being made in that Bourbon County, put on ships and barges and shipped down Ohio, down the Mississippi, and got to New Orleans where it got distributed all over the world. And people kept saying, well, hey, I want some more of that whiskey from Bourbon County. And so that's how Bourbon Whiskey uh, got its name. And Chicken Cock originated actually in Paris, Kentucky, which is today Bourbon County. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! If you're in the upstate of South Carolina and are in need of residential real estate services, Cindy Bass Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane is for you. Ask her about the village at Creekside, all of her listings in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina, right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue, married to a lifelong Gamecock fan. And many of our listeners have already bought homes from her and been 100% satisfied with the detail and care she uses. Cindy Searfoss, 864 414-5271 Caldwell Banker Kane in the upstate for your real estate needs. Building your dream home is often just that, a dream and sometimes a nightmare. But at the Barn Doe Company, they commit to quality and build without sacrifice. Customization, open floor plans, limitless flooring options, maintenance-free and easy insulation perks, and affordability are just a few reasons why they've been named one of the best builders in the U.S. Believe in your dreams. Visit thebarndominiumco.com. That's thebarndominiumco.com. The Barn Doe Company. Gamecock owned. Gamecock operated. The preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. A full-service sign company that handles design, production, install, and service, Signorama Columbia has helped to bring to life the perfect vision for so many all across South Carolina. Owned and operated by proud Gamecock alumni, they can handle all types of signage, including interior and exterior, vehicle graphics, and more. Go to Signorama.com and find the West Columbia location, or call them at 803-407-9284. Bring your brand to life with Signorama. Columbia and go Gamecocks. This is Zachary Davis from Carolina Hoops, and you're watching the show with JB, JC, and Phil. Gonna do the Johnson with the crossover. Off the glass and in. Yeah, so Gamecock Traditions is, they're stocked up, man. 
Got a text this morning from Kevin, and they've got all all the Gamecock baseball gear that you could possibly dream of. The Carolina hoodies and the all the hats are in stock. All the cool Under Armour Carolina baseball T-shirts, they're, they're all there. It's, it's time. It's time to run out onto the field and play some baseball. And you can look just like they do by heading to Gamecock Traditions in Lexington and then at the Village at Sand Hill, or you can order it online, GamecockTraditions.com. GamecockTraditions.com. You know the, the shirts that look like – it looks like Coach Kingston and Monty, like they're wearing a size or two too small. They're not. They just have big muscles, but it looks like they're wearing a size or two too small. You can order those shirts, too, if you have big muscles, or even if you don't, but whatever you want to do. GamecockTraditions.com is where we shop, and uh, we we know a lot of you shop there as well. And hopefully we'll see some of you tomorrow dressed in your gear from Gamecock Traditions because we'll be live from Founders Park beginning at 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. as part of our 2024 celebration of Gamecock baseball. Uh, up there in the press box. All right, uh, the golden tones of the great Michael Morgan here until 2 o'clock today. A uh, quick note, by the way, from softball, South Carolina down in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico has run-ruled 13th-ranked Utah. So they stay undefeated. I saw the ballpark they're playing in down there. It's a looks like a softball field in Mexico yeah, with a temporary fence in the outfield and – Concrete bleachers, <laughs> but uh, like nonetheless, the, you don't like the concrete bleachers. Yeah, I don't really like the concrete beach bleachers. I mean, it looks like it's in like a kind of a, a, a yucky neighborhood. You don't like the softball. Uh, they're winning. You like the, why do you not like the softball? We still have to. We'll we'll get to Sean Elliott with Mike here in just a minute. Couple of angles on that. One, Sean Elliott himself coming back to South Carolina. Mike, obviously, you've crossed paths with Sean. Uh, so we'll, we'll certainly get your thoughts on it. But then the other, the, you know, the big picture of college football, we've got a sitting head coach who just left his team during spring practice to go be an offensive line or a tight ends coach and a run game coordinator. Uh, so we'll get get to some of that. A lot and, of thoughts on that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, we're yeah. going to tee you up, let you run. And like right. secretariat, just keep on going. And then um, we've got a, uh, a, a conversation on the future of SEC football scheduling as well in addition to your thoughts on college baseball's opening day, something you've been a part of a lot uh, in your life, Mike. It's a pretty magical moment. But anyways, JC uh, was chomping at the bit to get to uh, something to do with championships and uh, I'm assuming something else. No? No, that's about it. Uh, the, oh. You know, I'm just saying, like, look, okay, so the, the fi- whenever you look ahead, and I like to look ahead on the schedule, uh, people are like, don't look ahead on the schedule. I'm like, I'm not playing. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like to look at it in chunks and this next chunk of three games uh, is going to determine like it or not, whether or not South Carolina is a com- competitor for the big trophy, the SEC championship trophy, or whether they're just kind of playing for seating in the NCAA tournament. Um, they're all big and they're all going to be big because of the seating thing. But if you want to win the trophy, you got LSU, you got a week off. Then you go at Ole Miss at A&M. Now, Carolina's probably going to be an underdog against both those teams. Uh, I think Ole Miss probably got a lot of confidence coming back in the game they did. But Ole Miss also has not necessarily gotten over the top against a lot of good teams this year. Uh, When you talk about the upper echelon of the league, 
Uh, you know, they, they've, they, they've got swept by Auburn, actually played Auburn closer down there. Um, it, it's, it, it's a team that I think has done a really good job, is very well coached, but it's a team that certainly can lose at home. They're in the midst of a three-game losing streak right now. They do play Missouri uh, on Saturday, which I think will probably end. But then at Mississippi State, then they have the Gamecocks, then Alabama. I mean, you could see a scenario where they're, they're just losing and losing and losing, and it snowballs. Uh, but that's going to be important. If you want to win a championship, you're going to have to go win some games you're not supposed to. That's the game you guys have to do that. Then they go to A&M. Yeah. Okay, A&M is, is probably one of the most enigmatic teams in the league this year. If you look at their wins and losses, and it's crazy because I, I was making the point that some of these kids, these recruits, big-time players that you get in, they probably, if you ask them, pay attention to the name on the front of the jersey and have these preconceived notions. I think A&M's that way. Because you look at their results. They got waxed by 15 at home in the SEC opener against LSU. Okay, they lost at Arkansas when Arkansas was struggling. Uh, they lost at home to Ole Miss. They lost at Vanderbilt, as Mike pointed out. However, <laughs> they beat Kentucky at home in overtime. Uh, they beat uh, Florida uh, at home by a point. They went to, they ten, Tennessee came to town. They waxed them. Um you know, they've done a really, really good job. Now they play Alabama uh, again and they play Auburn again. I, actually, I don't think they play Bama twice. They got Alabama soon uh, on Saturday. And then they, they, they uh, have Arkansas, Tennessee. They go to Tennessee. They have the Gamecocks. But, you know, South Carolina historically under Frank, and, and it was a different coach, but South Carolina's won out there quite a bit, even when A&M's been really, really good. So, you know, I don't necessarily like the Gamecocks' chances, but I think if it is to be, you win those three games, guys, you're 24-4 and overall, 12-3 and in the league, and really the next two home games, people should be hanging from the rafters because that's going to decide it. I don't don't think it's going to get to that last game of Mississippi State where it matters. So – you set yourself up to have Florida and Tennessee coming in to Colonial Life Arena back-to-back with the league on the line if you can get by LSU and then win those two road games. Not to mention those two road games are both going to be quad one wins. So if you want to know, is this going to be a magical season where the Gamecocks get a trophy and win the SEC or they're at least in it and get maybe a top-four seed, la da 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 or are they going to be kind of like, you know, the 04 or the final four team where you get to the tournament, you're a, anywhere from a six to a, to a 10 and, and, and you're just there and, and seeing what happens. I think uh, when you're looking at the range of possibilities, you know, there's, there's always greatness undefeated and there's always disaster, which is winless. But I think if you're looking at that median range, you know, these next three games are going to determine how wide your Delta is uh, to get to that, um, get to that championship competition in March, which is what every program in the country, what do you want to do? You want to compete for championships in March, you know? So uh, I think that's, those are the three games to circle. Mike, that's my point. Um, I, I'm looking at the final seven games. Yep. Okay. I'm just thinking like Vegas. So don't, don't kill yeah. the messenger. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh no, Carolina! <laughs> you hating son of a. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> you, this guy, this guy. Mike said we were going to lose. So that one dude, yeah. like, what, what show that. were you listed to, brother? Um, Mike, Mike Morgan, I tell you that right now. Yeah. Mike, I know you pull against him. I, I know when you pull against him every time. Well, I, I don't get it. that. Oh, I, I don't. He, he, most people are smart enough to know that's not true. But I, I, I don't get that. But like one time, I think I, I pointed out Kentucky might not be an easy game, and the guy just like. He just, wanted, he just sometimes people just want to have adversity uh, for whatever reason. Um, so this is how I think Vegas will have it. Carolina favorite against LSU. Road dog at Ole Miss, although very close. And I think Ole Miss of the tournament teams from this league, and there are nine of them, I think they're the most vulnerable. Just my opinion. What? Uh, I mean, what? Just quick 30 seconds on that. Yeah. Why? Hmm? Why? What is it? I just I, I stack them up to the other eight, Jamie, and I don't think they're – their top to bottom is good. I think you've got a coach that's that's uh, I don't well, I don't want to <laughs> use that expression. I think they've got a coach who's getting the very most out of that uh, lineup, that squad. But it's a lot of the same players that I watched be not very good the last couple of years. Like Matthew Morrell has been inconsistent. He always looks like a guy who could be a, a second round pick in the NBA and then doesn't consistently play like it. You got a seven-five guy who just basically blocks shots, and that's that's it. Um, you've got a diminutive point guard who is a backup on the St. Peter's team that went to the Elite Eight. Um, you know, you got you got uh, Breakfield who's been around there for three years. You got solid guys, but I I don't that team to me isn't what I would call quote unquote special. So when you when you compare it to the other eight teams that are projected to be in the NCAA field right now from this conference. I would say Ole Miss would be number nine out of nine. Just, just okay. my opinion. Um, Carolina at A and M, Road Dog. A and M's very difficult to beat at home. Uh, Carolina at home against Florida, favorite, uh, but a very dangerous game. I think Florida is is poised to make a run. Like he's got a squad. Todd Golden does. For whatever reason, it wasn't showing up real well in January. It is now. You you watch. They will be a team by March that no one's going to want to play. Well, I, uh, I mean, I don't I don't know that they're a team that anybody, they've won 6 of 7, Mike. I mean, Well, that's my point. Yeah, but yeah. but before that, remember now, they, it wasn't until the Kentucky win that anybody had them in the field. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, you know, <laughs> with what Billy Napier's doing with Florida football right now, there wasn't a whole lot of love going on for that athletic department uh with football and basketball. Right, you go from Spurrier and Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan to Billy Napier and Mike White and Todd Golden, and there's a little bit difference in results, right? So, uh, but yes, you're right. They're one of the hottest. That's my point. I mean, they're one of the hottest teams now. They figured it out, and their strength is very similar to Carolina's in that their guard play is really good, and in their case, really deep. Like they got four of them, but Pullen is like Talon Cooper 2.0, um, and. But, and, and they've got a rotation of bigs that like that's all they care about is protecting the rim, rebounding, you know, keep picking up a hard foul here and there. So they're dangerous. Uh, that'll be a very entertaining game. Tennessee at, at Carolina. Vegas-wise, this will be really interesting. I'm thinking, and I could be wrong, Tennessee will be a very slight favorite at home on the road. That's what I'm thinking. I could be wrong on that. And you say, wait a minute. Carolina's already won in Knoxville. Come on, Tennessee just lost. I, I think most of Vegas thinks Tennessee is the most complete team in this league and that the revenge factor would put them, I don't know, 
point and a half favorite. I'd, I'd have Tennessee a favorite. No yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we could be way off, but that would be my guess. Uh, and then Carolina at Mississippi State. Mississippi State's going to be favored, a slight favorite at the hump in all likelihood. So what is that? You're a dog four out of seven, if my math four is six. Uh, well, yeah, I included LSU. Isn't that six? Is yeah. that seven? Or that's yeah, six. That's yeah. Six. So four. Yeah. So four out of six. So yeah. uh, you know, as we're looking at if as to look at it in the scope of uh, what JC's looking at, okay, forget about seating for a moment. What about the SEC crown? It's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be hard uh, with with the, with that with that run, and you're chasing, um, or you're competing with Tennessee, Auburn, and Alabama. It'll it'll be very difficult. But I mean, even if you fall short of that mark, and you go into this tournament as like a five six seed, it's already memorable from a rate. This is a program that's been a nine NCAA tournaments in over a hundred years. Okay, oh, yeah. let's, not lose, let's not lose sight of that. So anytime they go to the big dance, there should be a friggin' parade. If you win some games, remember they before the final four, they hadn't won a tournament game since before any of us were born in nineteen seventy three. Okay, it was before Watergate. Uh, so let, let's not forget the history, and let's not take for granted that getting to the big dance for this program is already a monumental feat for a guy in Lamont Paris to do in year two. Then after that, I am convinced uh, that they are built for NCAA tournament play. That's why Wisconsin teams did so well. When Lamont was an assistant under Bo Ryan for seven years, they went to what? Two Final Fours, two more Sweet Sixteens, one Elite Eight, and another round of 32. They didn't lose a game. They didn't go one and out one time in seven years. Well, why is that? Were they the most talented team in the country? Never. It was their style of play. They defend. They play smart. Uh, they limit turnovers. That formula does very well in March. So just get there, and I've got a good feeling that Something good can happen. I'm not saying Final Four. A lot of things have to go right, and quite frankly, you got to be a little lucky to get to a Final Four. But damn, just be happy to get to the tournament, do some damage. Recruiting is looking good. Portal will be good, and all of a sudden, you've got a program that is respectable that you can look forward to basketball season every year, as opposed to saying, "Well, I never really cared about that sport anyway because we suck." No, you don't have to do that anymore. That's a great. That's a great. By the way, for on on. To kind of wrap this conversation here with the end of the hour approaching, uh, you mentioned the top four, Bama, South Carolina, Auburn, Tennessee. Let's not forget, Florida and Kentucky are still in this right there at 74. Oh, no question. No question. And looking at all of their remaining schedules, Mike, it set – I mean, none of them are easy. But it sets up best for Auburn to win the title. Yeah, it does. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gator, Gator, Gators have a uh, Gators have a pretty favorable favorable sh- shot too, I and mean, they could end up. Yeah, being, uh, they, I don't know. They're probably, yeah, they have a, they have a tough one, not, and then they have like Missouri, they have a lot of not, Missouri and Georgia, Missouri, Georgia. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. The problem with Florida is they've already got four losses, and they've got to yeah. go to Alabama. They have to come to Columbia, and they also have Alabama coming to their house. So, like, they can't afford more losses. Uh, and even even like the even like the game Saturday in Athens at Steg, don't don't just chalk that up as a win. I yeah, promise right. you that that's well, a no dangerous road, game. No road game is safe in the yeah. SEC. And that's personal for Mike White. If you know that whole story, trust right. me, there 
That's yeah. Georgia got way down down there and came way back. That was a hell of a ball game. One of the best games uh, of the year in the regular yeah, season. Yeah, it went into overtime. One hundred and two to ninety. You were you weren't that wasn't your game to cover. No, right? no, no. I didn't have that one. I know but, you were. Um, you, you're down for Mississippi State. Mississippi State. So yeah, um, I have Mississippi yeah. State. Um, and again, I'll have them a few times down the stretch. Um, congratulations, Bill Morgan. 5-0 and oh in the Super Bowl installment oh, this, of the Salsaritas Fab Five. All oh, my God. It's Bill all red. Bill, go, Bill. Bill Morgan from Lexington. I'm not related, by the way. Not related. Nope. Uh, I promise you. Uh, Bill, you rigged it. This is he's rigged. a frequent listener to this show. He's in Lexington. He went 5-0. and friggin o. Yeah, uh, which means you had to take the under on both Debo Samuel bets. You had to take Kansas City. You had to take the under, which was by a half a point a winner, and then the over on Murray Boyles, which that covered by about <laughs> 25 points. Um, so, yeah, congratulations, Bill. You got a Fiesta pack courtesy of Suki and the two Midlands locations, Columbia and Lexington, Salsaritas, great place for lunch or for dinner today. Yeah, I'm calling BS, Bill. I saw all this, all of this uh, entries this morning. Bill Look Morgan actually went one and four. No. Mike liked his last name. So well, I did like his last name. No, no, I'm just did, I did like his last name. It's Mike's cousin, Bill. <laughs> He's like, cousin oh, damn, Bill. Bill. I didn't know that Uncle Bill uh, submitted his picks. Hell yeah, he's five and zero. Hey, when when we uh, when we give away a truck, drafting the basketball team, right? No, that's right. <laughs> when we give away a truck from Love Chevy, that's when I'll start rigging it for family members. I'm Bill. Right. not going to test my integrity for a Fiesta pack. Bill I'll hangs be, with, uh, with with Jan and his crew, Jan and Kevin and that crew. He. Uh, I think they're all buddies. If so. if Bill is the is the Bill that I think it is, I think I used to see him at Gamecock baseball games all the time, like he mm-hmm. like traveling. Like there was a core group of fans that would go everywhere. Yeah, that's what, yeah they they all went to the super regional together. Jan's part. Jan, you probably don't know Jan, but he he creates a tree out of PBR cans before every game. He's, he's well he. He used to till they cut his tree they, down. They cut his tree down, and then he complained. He found Tanner in the stands. Because Jan's about six eight, big old boy. Like, oh, I'll tell you something. I don't want anybody to cut down my tree, you know. Uh, but he he's good people. I went to the uh, we 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 had to tailgated before Kentucky South Carolina at Kentucky uh, two years ago, and he's a dear friend of mine, and um, and Bill's part of that crew. I always I got a lot of respect for it. In fact, I was just texting with Bill earlier today about just. NIL and stuff. So uh, Bill just chimed in in chat row. He says, "Meh, I know a thing or two. Yep, that's me." And I and for Big Slam Jamma, that is the line of, the, of of this hour. This is taco nepotism, Mike. I love. Well, <laughs> I'm sure Bill will be at the baseball games this weekend. So. Taco nepotism out there. Burrito right, nepotism. <laughs> hour three, driven by love. Chevrolet coming up on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. The State Farm Personal Price Plan helps you create an affordable price just for you. Contact local agent Gary Patterson for your personal price plan today. Touchdown, Brewer! Set up a screen, and it goes to Brewer. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Brewer! His second of the day. Pitches it to Brewer, turns to Cody, touchdown, number three of the afternoon. 
Hey folks, it's Mike Morgan for Ryan Brewer Fence. That's right, you know the former Gamecock legend as a terrific college football player. Well, I know him as that too. I also know him as the guy that runs a great business, one of the best businesses in South Carolina. How do I know that? Well, for one, I'm actually a client of Ryan's. I had my home in Columbia done years ago, and his crew did an outstanding job just as he does for everybody else. Whether you're in the market for a fence, railings, columns, or anything in between, their craftsmanship, their experience, and service second to none. Ryan Brewer Fence has over 15 years of experience with consultation and installation of residential and commercial fencing and railings. Rest assured your job will be done with an unparalleled level of expertise and it's done on time and they do it right the first time. Again, you're not going to do any better than Ryan Brewer, Ryan Brewer Fence. The website is ryanbrewer.net. Set up an appointment today. Tell them Mike sent you. My company is Billy G's Carolina Barbecue. We are based in Columbia, South Carolina. And we have two lines of sauces and a spice rub. I mean, when people try our product, they know it's a gourmet product and it can go on any type of food. It's not surprisingly delicious. It's expectedly delicious. Oh man. The building is on fire. Emergencies and accidents happen. When you're in the middle of a fire or water event, all you want is for things to return to normal as soon as possible. Resto Pros of the Midlands is with you, guiding you through the process and working with you to get your home or office back in working order. They'll answer your questions, discuss procedures, and can act as your advocate when it comes to processing your insurance claim. RestoProsMidlandsSC.com. Open 24-7 when you need them. Quality that is guaranteed. The State Farm Personal Price Plan helps you create an affordable price just for you. Contact local agent Gary Patterson for your personal price plan today. It's the uh, final hour on Thursday, the day after Valentine's Day, February the 15th. Inside the Gamecocks, the show powered by our friends at Electric Bikes of Charleston, electricbikescharleston.com to find all of the best 
in the business when it comes to electric bikes, Venton, you name I mean, literally, if there's a brand that's worth a damn, they're there. Electrobikescharleston.com. I can assure you that they also are the owners of Charleston Fitness Equipment. And thank God for the hydro rower because uh, I ate Mexican last night and it made me feel a lot better at six o'clock this morning, pumping out 25 minutes worth of some lake in Vermont. If you've never seen the hydro rower, it uh, is pretty sweet. It's like uh, kind of like the Peloton of rowing. You so can you find ate it in Charleston Mexican and you said, I know it'll be good for my stomach. Yeah. Some heavy well, cardio. So, so I'm on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday rowing regimen right now. And I thought that that would be better than, you know, getting out of the funk on Monday morning. You know, it's hard to do that. Saturday morning, it's a good morning because generally you have a, you have a couple glasses of chicken cock bourbon on Friday night. Mike, maybe eat some pizza or something. You're not feeling good. You know, you're probably not going to take care of your body on Saturday. So you get about 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And on Saturday morning, it makes you feel better about whatever you're about to do that day. I don't know. That's just my thought process. So, anyways, that's what that's you know. No, I mean you you paint a good picture there. Can I can I just say um, there is a commercial out there? You got I don't know how you, this is connected, but somehow what you your story there, your trials and tribulation of eating Mexican and doing heavy cardio right after made me uh, inspired me to think of this commercial. I think most of our audience has seen it. There is this uh, rather cumbersome lady. Uh, who who pops on the screen, and she's got a very impassioned message about her stink zones, and that Uh-oh. she's got this this cream, this lotion, and then she goes into great detail of everywhere she puts this lotion because those are her aroma uh, spots zones, if mm. you will, and mm. she gives in great detail. Yeah, I got to rub it in my pits and my crotch and under my. Breast, and I'm like, does the, does the expression TMI mean anything? Like, we're eating, and I really don't need to hear about your, uh, you know, your sensitive smell zones and the the cream that you're putting on to mask it, so oh, that man. you can uh, be in a public place or have an intimate moment with your loved one. I just don't want to think about that as I'm, uh, you know, enjoying a nice plate of pasta or chicken wings. I'm sure saying the words or chicken wings from D's everywhere. It is descriptive enough. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Phil? Have you seen this? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, like, I mean, no. it is disturbing, man. I mean, oh, the, yeah, oh the, the the commercials nowadays? Yeah, they don't give a smack well, anymore. But, but this is yeah. a specific Women are shaving one. their hairy armpits now on commercials and stuff. It's disgusting. The, but this is a specific... I've seen like, it. I know exactly what you're talking you about. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we all know there's certain commercials for, for certain things. And, like, yeah. I, I get that. You got to... But this is like... Could you just say you can put it anywhere to help your stink zones? As to, do you have to like go into great detail? And then she like you could see the visual. She's taking her hand and she's showing you where she puts it. And I'm just like, first off, like what is in this putty? Uh, I mean, is this something ten years from now is going to be recalled along with the asbestos uh, issues? Going to be like a class action lawsuit and everybody that rubbed this lotion in their crotch is. Is going to be having all kinds of fungus issues and even more serious than that. But I just don't need to see this. I, I just uh, I, I'd like a, some type of warning. And I'm not the most sensitive guy, but good lord, I, it's just enough is enough. Tell that woman to go home, uh, keep it to herself. You know, Take put the label shower. on the TV screen, and you know, we we get the picture. You're going to put it where you feel you need to uh, freshen up. Well, 
with all of that being said, Sean Elliott's returning to South Carolina <laughs> as run game coordinator. Uh, sorry, I had to get that off my chest. That no, was I was channeling my inner JC, just tangential no, thoughts. No, no, it's, yeah, it doesn't we're, necessarily we're well segue into one another. Here. Yeah, I so uh, you know I I I, uh, I was sitting here trying to think of like all right, I mean Mike, you know the the old radio and us. You you wait till you hear a word that you can roll into you know to f- make it flow. When you got to make the transition, you hear a word or a phrase, yeah, and then. Your 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 brain captures it, and then when you get the break, you use that phrase, and it and transitions into the next conversation. There was I thought nothing. of the Loomy woman what? eating yeah. Mexican like you did last night, and getting on the rower, <laughs> and then like walking up to her significant, "Hey, honey, how are you?" And he's like, "Hey, you better go ahead and rub that crap all over yourself because you know it's yeah, it's not I, working out for you." I mean, exactly. Well, that's what I was sitting here. I was like, at some point in time, Mike's going to say something that I can use to transition to Sean Elliott, but. Sean Elliott, fine. great man. You know, all great hire. his crotch and smells, and and I I don't think Sean wants. And he's to old school. He doesn't. He's not looming anything. You know, you put some soap on in the morning if you work out. You put some soap on, some body lotion. Uh, not body lotion. Uh, body. Uh, uh, what's the thing? We did a whole what? show once on what do you use a bar uh, of soap uh, or do you use the body like wash? A okay, before we change subject, I got to tell my summer's eve commercial. I mean, sorry, oh my, my summer's God. eve story. Oh my goodness! Now, now we've gone. Okay, all right. I mean, this is fun. You guys will laugh. It's very self depreciating. <laughs> so I'm up here. I move up here. We move in with Nat. You know, um, it's right before the pandemic hits. I'm kind of new to the house, and I, I'm taking a shower. And I'm not the type that carries my own body wash around. I'll steal everybody else's or just use bar soap or whatever. And so I'm in there, and I, I get this. Uh, there's this big bottle of Summer's Eve just sitting there like bottles bottled by I just, just rub it all over me and I'm like oh my god this stuff smells great it's unbelievable I was smelling awesome um and I don't think anything of it and so we, we go to her friends her lifelong friends all of her Thai friends house for a dinner party and we're sitting around talking about things and I was like man we're talking about body wash for some reason we got this I was like yeah you guys know who makes a wonderful body wash you wouldn't think about it Summer's Eve of, of all the all the people Nat looks over and he's like, that's not body wash, honey. And I was like, well, it it's sure as hell were like body wash. And I'm well, sure enough, I didn't read the label. Because, uh, you know, when you're in the in the shower, you, know, you just don't know. So, of course, everybody laughed their butt off about it. Well, we shouldn't confuse it for toothpaste. That's a win. Yeah, but it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, um, uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, but, hey, I'll be honest with you, if we're out of body wash, I'm not going to lie and say I haven't used it before. It, it accomplishes the same thing. Saunders. JC just says that. So casually, I was raiding your bathroom. Yeah, casually, I was using your feminine products. And I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind if I tell an audience of thousands of people about it. Hey, man, uh, I was going through your bathroom. Every cabinet, every door. Oh. So many yeah, ideas to make this. Oh, oh my god! I'm gonna have. To and the summers, I mean, but hey, it was. I don't think many people could say that, but uh, I'll never forget it. And I was, everybody just kind of looked and looked. I looked, looked. Some of them looked at me like I was crazy. Some of them couldn't quit laughing. The guys couldn't quit laughing. Some of her female friends were a little weird about it. I don't know, man. Hey, listen, I'm happy Women. that uh, I was happy to discover that on a number of levels, and we'll just leave it at that. All right. 
So Sean Elliott, this guy. Anytime we bring up Sean Elliott from now on, we're going to think about this. Yeah, exactly. Whenever we get Sean, we'll we'll have to get Sean on sometime and let him know that as we were prepared to discuss him, Mike started talking about vaginas and JC started. No, I I, uh, see. I did not say about douche Joe. Say that word. He said coochie. Scientific term. Well, Lumi, but it's it's not a specific crotch product. Lumi is for like everything. So the way she's pawning this uh, this product, you don't even need soap. You don't need deodorant. You just take this crap and you rub it all over you, like buttholes and armpits and everything. All of that is pretty much suggested in the commercial. And again, it's the visual. Even butthole. That's a great. Yes, she. I mean, she doesn't say that. She's not that crass, but she she leads you right down the path. She gives you the roadmap of everywhere she's putting this thing. And I just, I, it's just TMI. I just, I, I, I just, I don't no, need listen, it. You just need, you need to be careful on people who only own one stick of that stuff. <laughs> oh, oh wow! Oh wow! Uh, it's all purpose. We can just spread oh, it everywhere. No. I'm like, all right. listen, train back on track, Jamie. Yeah. Go ahead. You could cook a steak with butter or eggs with butter, but sometimes it's better to have another marinade, right? <laughs> Why ball? Caught. Caught. Dynamite drop in, Marty. Uh, oh, by the way, I've got a surprise for you guys tomorrow for the opening day show. It came in via Amazon today. Is it spelled right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I think so. Why don't you, you check spelling on it before you put it on? You know, it you know that's killed me. You know, yeah, now Nat on all our social media puts Mrs. Schubert out there because she thinks I it's know, hilarious. Yes, I saw that on Facebook. It's like spelled yeah. and, and spelled wrong intentionally. Yes. Well, I checked it when we were in Florida. I made sure to check the program, and it was right. So that was good. That's well, right. I probably I, was not drinking when when I made our wedding program. So. <laughs> Probably. Oh man, it's one fifteen. Let's go ahead and step aside for a timeout because I know that this next conversation is going to take forever. Uh, with uh, as it pertains to Sean Elliott, plus the nine game SEC schedule, is it coming? Maybe, according to reports. But when? And we will put the finest final touches on Mike Morgan's thoughts on college baseball's opening day, at least at the Division One level. Everybody else has been already out there on the field. Hang tight inside the Gamecocks for the show. Power Hour, driven by our friends and yours at Love Chevy. LoveChevy.com. We'll be right back. Gamecock Traditions, South Carolina's elite retailer for anything Gamecock related. The best selection for basketball, baseball, football, tailgating, kids stuff, and everything else. If it's got the Gamecock logo, it's got to be at Gamecock Traditions. Most importantly, they ship it to your doorstep. Order online at GamecockTraditions.com, where there's always a sale. Gamecock Traditions, GamecockTraditions.com, a tradition unlike the others. South Carolinians, this message is for you, as well as for people in Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. 
If you think you may need work done to your roof or a new roof altogether, there's one simple name to remember, Elite Roofing and Restoration. South Carolina native Jeremy Johnson has been helping people in the South make sure they have the very best people checking on and building new roofs for over 25 years. Fully licensed, bonded, and insured. They provide the best service possible. Call or email today, 678-781-1998. That's 678-781-1998. Or you can go to Elite Roofing GA.com. Schedule a no-hassle free inspection today. Wind damage, hail damage, or just wear and tear. Don't settle for second best. Let Jeremy Johnson and Elite Roofing and Restoration take care of it all for you today. Nana's Porch. Nana'sPorch.com. At Nana's Porch, they cater weddings, parties, and all kinds of special events. Their meals are served buffet style in seconds. They're encouraged. Plus, they can bring their mobile food unit to bring on-site and serve your guests as a unique alternative for your catering needs. Inquire about rentals as well. Nana'sPorch.com. Find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 336-259-7550. Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Eric Church and Gamecock Baseball just all hit right. Resto Pros of the Midlands presents our coverage of Gamecock Baseball this season and tomorrow's opening day live from Founders Park where Mad Dog and I will be high atop right behind home plate getting you ready at 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. If you haven't seen or heard the guest list tomorrow and our celebration of this year's version of South Carolina baseball includes Justin Smoke, Landon Powell, Blake Cooper, Stuart Lake, Michael Campbell, Mark Kingston, Grayson Griner, Kip Baltonite, Will Crow, and Derek Scott, amongst others. We are working to get a couple of other notable names in. It's just a scheduling thing at this point in time, so we'll get all that worked out between now and then. But uh, hopefully you can all join us at 10 a.m. I would highly suggest not going anywhere. It's going to be quite the day honoring Gamecock baseball. 
its past, its present, and its future, and that includes Tommy Moody. Uh, Tommy, of course, passed away only a few months ago, and tomorrow is going to be, as it was told to me yesterday by somebody who would know very well, amazing for Tommy and his family. So we look forward to being a part of that. We'll do a few things on our program as well to honor uh, the legacy of Tommy Moody. His voice will continue to be carried on by those of the Gamecock Sports Network uh, and ways of their own, and we will continue to do that here on our programming as well as part of what you just heard, bumpers and things like that. Can't wait to be a part of that. Um, Mike, you'll have plenty to say on Tommy coming up here uh, over the next 40 minutes, I'm sure, because uh, he meant a lot to you as he did to pretty much anybody that ever heard him do what he did. Amazing stuff. Amazing. Can't believe he's gone. Yeah, I I mean, there's a lot about Tommy that I know that, that really has nothing to do with Gamecock baseball um, and just what a tremendous human being that he that he was. And, um, you know, not everybody you work with in this business, like, are you great friends with and hang out with? Um, I, I know for a fact Tommy wasn't necessarily chummy with all his broadcast uh, partners, and that's not unusual. Um but but we had a, a unique relationship um, in a number of ways and, and just spent so much time together on the road. And um, uh, whenever I would come back in town to do a game for ESPN, I mean, that was like my first call. Tommy, you want to grab lunch, dinner, beers, you name it. And the answer is almost always yes. Um, we talked about <laughs> relationships. We talked about um, a ton of stuff. And what made... The news even harder uh, on me is that I'd just spoken with him roughly a week and a half before he passed. Mm-hmm. And he sounded like he always does, just high on life, um, just happy as can be, and healthy as can I mean, Tommy was one of the I, – I would think to myself, I hope I look as good as Tommy Moody when I'm that age, and I hope that I still have the same energy and drive as Tommy Moody when, that, when, he's that, when I'm that age. That's what made it so shocking to me. We've all had friends and family members that, you know, their health dissipates and you kind of know the end is near. That is the antithesis of what Tommy Moody was in life and where he was in life. So not to, not yeah. to do a bummer here, but yeah. No, I, it's I, not, though. It's I, not. You know, Coach Tanner said that on our show. He said, we're, yeah. we're going to honor Tommy. And, you know, and that's what everybody's going to do. I mean, he. I think that Mike, of course. Nowhere near, nowhere near the amount of time you spent with him that Derek has spent with him, you know, Coach Tanner, Coach Lake, you know, guys who are in his corner and have been for years. The the thing that I always found refreshing about Tommy, and we'll talk a lot about this tomorrow, but you're not on this tomorrow, so we'll, we'll get into some of it today. And, sure. And, 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 I t- and we'll shove Coach Elliott back here in just a second. Sorry, Coach. Um, but – um. I remember the one of the last times I saw him, and I'll never forget. I walked into the booth, and I was I was up I was up in the press box. So this was last June. It was the it was it was the regional. I saw him one time after that, but it wasn't. But this is the only the last conversation I had with Tommy face to face. You know what I mean? And and I said, "Hey, Tommy," and he turned around and said, "Hey, young man, how you doing?" And I said, "I'm doing doing well." I was I said I just wanted to pop my head in. And, uh, and I've said this to him before and generally, you know, you get the same response or something similar. And I said, um, I just want to let you know that I really, as always appreciate everything you do. You make it fun. 
I love listening on the radio and I know that, you know, I know him and I, and I told him that I said, I know, I know you said, but you know, I just wanted to make sure that you understand how much fun it is to turn on the radio and hear you call games. I just, just wanted to say it. I don't know. It just felt like it needed to be said, Mike, just like we say that stuff to you, you know, it's, it's true. And I remember he looked at me and he said, wow, well, boy, that sure does. It means a lot coming from somebody like you. And I'm sitting here thinking, who the hell am I? This is Tommy Moody. You know what I mean? And and that never left me because, like, I've never viewed myself like that at all. That was Tommy. Right. He made everybody feel like they were the only one in the room, and he made them feel really, really good. And and he did the same thing when he when his voice came through the radio as well. Yeah, and don't sell yourself short. I guarantee you he had respect for, for the, the job that, that you did uh, on radio. Tommy would never say anything bad about anybody, but he also wouldn't be disingenuous. Um, and 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 I know, again, who who he uh, was high on, and 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 so on and so forth. And I, you know, we were together, and thankfully, you know, you and a couple other publications pointed this out. Um, we were together ten years, um, which I dare say, in terms of, you know, obviously Todd and Tommy now in football, they've they've surpassed that by a few laps. But uh, at the time, I don't know because you know, like, I don't. How long was Tommy Moody? Uh, excuse me, uh, Tommy Suggs with Bob Fulton. Mm. I guess what that was think, quite some time. Uh, but we, we, wow. you know, Not my whole life, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and but and and well, you he know, just Bob's fiftieth year in the booth. So who's that? Suggs. Is that, well, 50, is that right? Season, wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Good for him, yeah. man. That's that's a mm-hmm. that's a hell of a number. No, but I mean we we had because you know, for the longest time, and and this story wasn't pointed out in a lot of the articles um that was that was out there, like the simple question, well, how did you wind up in the booth? What what's the story behind that? Because for the longest time, Bob Fulton didn't have an analyst. My predecessor, who I just talked to the other day, Steve Stewart, uh didn't do it. Didn't have an analyst. They they'd stick Tom Price on on road games because Tom wanted to do it. And Bob used to say, "Mike, you let him talk too much. Would you just stop it? You're the guy. You don't. I just, I shouldn't have done this. A hard drive in the center cut, field. Cut his microphone off. Like I'm not going to do that. I got you know he's Curtis he's a respectful guy. Um, Stewart used to do it. He'd be like, "Yeah, Mike, I would just cut his mic off." <laughs> It's like, damn, it's cold. So anyway, so so we did it. But, t- but the way it happened was, so when I got the job, there was no analyst for home games. Right. And 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 I when I came to Columbia, um, you know, I, I did the, the, the morning show for three years and I was involved in the, the football uh, pre and post. And I was kind of it was kind of intimated to me that there's a good chance you'll be the next baseball guy and then eventually intimated to be the next basketball guy and so on and so forth. And I said, well, when I when I when the job came open and uh, I said, well, who's my my analyst? And he said, well, we don't have one. I said, well, that's they're like, don't you want to just, you know, talk to yourself? I said, I can do it. I did minor league baseball without an analyst. But I said, that's not the best product. I said, I think we should have an analyst and somebody who knows the game and, we, and me and him can go back and forth. And I go, we don't have a budget. I said, well, let me get to work on that. And I'm walking to the Sarge and I run into Tommy Moody. And I, I said, Tommy, I just want you to know, I just recommended you to be the analyst. I said, I, I don't think we have a salary for you, but I'm pretty sure we can make this work with a sponsorship. 
He goes, that's funny, Mike. I just spoke to some people and recommended you for the play-by-play job. Uh, I said, well, I think I'm getting the play-by-play job. Uh, Would you be interested in being my analyst for at least the home games? He said, absolutely. And that's how it got started. Now, we had already worked together on some football shows and talk shows together. So I knew who Tommy was. And I just knew that it would be the great compliment for what I could bring to the table and it was something the broadcast was sorely lacking, quite honestly, was a true analyst. All those years, you didn't have a, a true radio analyst on SEC baseball. So um, right. as soon as I knew that, I'm like, cha-ching, like that's a slam dunk. And Tommy evolved in the role and eventually would do some middle innings and um, yep. j- just so many so many great uh, memories. And eventually I would fight for him to get, get with us. Like people asked about the five home runs um, in a row against Georgia in the Super Regional. And yes, that's definitely one of the top moments I've ever had behind the mic. Um, and it'll never be, it'll never happen again in a, in a postseason baseball game. No. Um, but Tommy, if you notice, is, is on that call. So it's me, Tommy, and Tom Price. Because right. Tommy volunteered he paid his own travel to come down. I said, look, Tommy, I wish I wish I could get them to pay for it, but they probably won't. But would you still? He's absolutely. So he did that. He was there for that. He was there in, in Atlanta for the 05 Regional. Got a great story about that, about a bar he walked into in Midtown, which did not uh, <laughs> did not go particularly well. Um, and uh, he, he was with me in Chapel Hill in 2007. He was with me on some SEC tournament games. I wanted him to be by my side for as many games as I could, uh, not just the home games, because I thought he was so valuable. And I was so happy for him that he that he kept the role and kept and he would have kept on doing it another 20 years if he could have. So I'm very I'm I'm just uh, it, it's still hard. I'm not I'm not going to lie. It's still hard for me to cope with the fact that he's gone. I'm almost in denial. I really don't want to believe that. But then I saw the press release and I, you've done great work, Jamie, kind of producing all those vignettes and I'm like damn it really is true he's not with us and he's not going to be a part of Gamecock baseball this year which uh, Stu would do a great job don't get me wrong it's just it's just sad to know Tommy is not with us yeah well not to correct you but he he he, he will he'll be there uh but uh just you know and, and I and I think uh yeah and I think that you know I mean as you and I spoke about months ago months ago and immediately when you get through the the grieving and the reality that he is no longer one of the great ambassadors for not just Carolina baseball but the entire University of South Carolina you immediately from a business standpoint begin to look to the future and and months ago when we first learned of the possibility if you remember we were having some of these, a lot of these conversations about coach lake and what this could look like um i i remember thinking to myself that's a no-brainer that's a no-brainer i mean you talk about a guy who loves south carolina but at the same time who will honor that seat that he sat in and we'll talk to coach coach lake will be with us for an entire hour tomorrow in person uh so we'll be standing next to each other up there and, and let him say whatever he wants to say in his own words. Cause this could be an emotional day for him uh, sitting in that seat as well. But Mike, I mean, I just couldn't think of a better person to be up there now with Derek uh, moving forward than, than, than coach Lake. And I, I don't know how long he'll be there. 
I hope he's there for a long, long time, but you know, sometimes life gets in the way and, and we'll figure all that out down the road. But for now, Stuart Lake is going to be in the booth with Derek Scott. And I think it's tremendous for Carolina baseball. No, he'll do, he'll do great. A, a former, a former coach's perspective. We, we only had one. I worked with Dave Perno, the Georgia coach that led uh, Georgia to three world series and they fired him and Georgia hasn't been back to Omaha since. Um, that's, that's going to leave a mark. Uh, it, but yeah. Perno was just great because I mean we we'd go on the road and I I'm not gonna name all the names but we we do an SEC game and he'd be like hey Mike see that guy in the dugout he can't blank and coach <laughs> terrible hire some some clown like that gets an SEC job and I'm still sitting here in the booth like come on that's ridiculous I mean he <laughs> coaches see the game in a different light like Ray would yeah. be great at it if he wants to do it he is um, great when he goes up there he's phenomenal. Yeah, but I mean, he could he could do it like TV next level. Um, we don't have a lot of that. We got a lot of former players that do a great job, but we don't have any former coaches anymore. Uh, we ju- we just don't. And uh, to me, sometimes former coaches give such a unique perspective as analysts. Uh, and you'll see that with Stuart Lake, or you'll hear that with Stuart Lake. Uh, no doubt. I think that's no a, that's an added benefit for sure. All right, Sean Elliott. Um, he's not a former coach. He's a former head coach, but he's now an assistant coach at South Carolina. Sean will yeah. be the run game coordinator uh, and um, and the tight ends coach. So we covered all the bases earlier with Sean and and how he is going to how what his role will be at South Carolina, um, the fit that he is for the game. Gosh, he, he is a game cock. Let's just be honest. He's from Camden. He loves this university. His family has continued to live in the Columbia area for since he took the job in, at Georgia State. He's he's happy to be back home. This has been, JC pointed this out earlier, this has been flirted with in the past. Um, but now it's finally coming true, Mike. So a couple of things I want to throw at you, and I'm really interested to get your your input on this. Number one, uh, just strictly pertaining to this staff, this staff right here, what Shane Beamer has done. Sean Elliott, Markel Blackwell, James Coley, Joe DeCamillis, there's a, there's a theme there. They've all been around a while. They're pretty experienced. They've weathered the storms, all that type of stuff. So this staff now under Shane Beamer with what he has brought in to replace what left. Yeah. Let, let me start with the Mac. And I'm sure you guys covered a lot of this in the first hour. And I know JC's been all over the story and uh, everybody at the Big Spur. I'll start with the macro for me and then get to the micro. Sorry, I got somebody delivering, I believe, food at my door. Either that or Oh, what are you having? Uh, today it's, uh, uh, a BLT Ooh. Yeah. With, with spicy mustard. I just it, ordered a B. I'm sitting really? there ordering a BLT as we speak, Mike. Really? Are you really? Oh man. Now that's, you just blew Great my mind. mind. Okay. That's, I can actually, we, we have some similar taste in food, but we do. Yes. We, we should have a tag about name tag. ask us about our chicken wing preferences. Yes. Yes. There's a very but, but anyway, deep philosophy on that. Didn't mean uh, to interrupt, but I had no, to no, say, no, no, that's good. No. Pushing the button right now. I'm like, yeah. Right. I just, I just, it just came to my door. By the way, the, uh, the ribs, uh, special at D's wings today, uh, not, not just good uh, wings. They also have, uh, Crab lakes, steam pots, but uh, today it's the ribs. Um, that's a well, that's Meeting Street, West Columbia. You know, you folks know it. You love it. And um, so macro, the, macro. the macro to me is is first off, we all know the advantages of hiring a young coach like a Shane Beamer, young, enthusiastic, and relate to players a little bit better. 
very often, um, you know, a certain level of, of adrenaline that's pumped into your program, the excitement of just new blood. But the challenge of a of a young new coach is he doesn't have the staff connections that your your guy that's been around the block for twenty thirty years has right, so so that sometimes is the last thing to fall into place, and I think it's safe to say that's been the last thing to fall into place for Shane Beamer, just my my humble opinion. This is yet another hire that's like oh okay it's coming together now, and all those connections that you do have as you get older and as you're on the job longer. Um, it helps make a hire like this. So I, I'm sure, again, without listening to hour number one, I'm sure it's unanimous. Everybody's jacked about the hire, right? I mean, what is what could possibly be a bad thing? But you just you just took a, a head coach away who's got ties to South Carolina, who's been at South Carolina, and is now an assistant coach? Like, yeah, that's a win, no matter how you slice and a good, it. And right? a good one. Like, and a good head well, coach. Well, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, not just a title. He did great over there. Yeah. Great. Now let me let me tell you beyond the fact that he's from Camden and everything else because I I did a, a Sean Elliott game two years ago at Georgia State. It was one of those like Wednesday night games, so I had I had the midweek off, and and they were playing Marshall, and it's a big Sun Belt clash, et cetera, et cetera. So I I, I talked with with Sean and kind of got a. Uh, it's the first time I'd ever done a, it. Was it was the first time I was at that ballpark? They play at the old Turner Field, so right. the last time I was at that ballpark, I was calling Atlanta Braves games, and I'm like, <laughs> now it's a football stadium. The Braves don't play there anymore. It still looks like a baseball. You can see it right off Highway 75. Uh, and you're like, wow, this is now the home of Georgia State. On the surface, that seems like a great job because it's in Atlanta, and we all know the recruiting in Atlanta is it's a, it's a hotbed, right? So even if you're not getting the Tier 1, you take the Tier 2, Tier 3, and you're getting some pretty good players. But talking with Sean then and kind of watching that program you know i think there were 3 games under 500 in conference play under his direction and that's not a that's not a knock i'm just telling you the sun belt is the most powerful group 5 conference now that the american has been vultured by the big 12 and those programs if you go to those sites and i have to do games they they're like mini sec schools is the way i describe them the passion for football uh, the stadiums are packed, the tailgate, it's just, everything's just a little bit smaller. So you don't have 85,000 fans. You might have 45,000 fans. Uh, you don't, your, your weight room is not quite as shiny as it is as an SCC school. And obviously the dollars being poured in, you don't have that type of TV money pouring in. But let me tell you, for the most part, you go to a Sunbelt home game and it is unreal. It is a great brand of football. Georgia State is a commuter school. Georgia State is playing in a in a stadium, like I said, that's the former Brave Stadium, that doesn't draw well. They you know they went to like four or five bowl games under under coach, and still it's a t- and and he shared that. I mean it's just a tough sell, so it's not a great job. If you know if he if he had the if he had the the resources of a Marshall or uh, Louisiana, or, you know we could go down the list of just kind of Sun Belt powers then that would be a lot more difficult to leave. But I really think he looked at Georgia State and said, this is as far as I can take it. This is as far as I can take it. So that is how you get ahead. Because, I mean, it's you know it's dropping on the phone and uh, on the updates. You know, We all know it as kind of a local story, but this is a national story. Like, How does a head coach leave to be an assistant, not a coordinator, an assistant on SEC school? That's I don't want to say it's unheard of, but it's pretty close. But that's part of the reason, and that's part of the well, story to me. 
Yeah, and it's this year though, and I think the, the a big picture transfer portal NIL that stuff. Being a G five coach is harder than being an FCS coach right now. I think because you you have to have eighty five scholarships. You're expected to compete at that level, although you're not at that level. Um, Elliot left. Kane Womack left South Alabama to go to Alabama. Uh, Mark Mark. I think it's Maurice Linquist left Buffalo to go to Alabama as a coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Halfley, Jeff Halfley left to go back to the pros from Boston mm-hmm. college to be a coordinator. And then Chip Kelly left UCLA to go to Ohio state to be the coordinator, which right. is probably the most unprecedented one of them all. I, I don't know if it's a trend we are seeing right now, but I think there's some people that are just sick of it. I don't think that's Sean's issue. I think you nailed it, Mike. And I've, I've said it. Tony reported it. I reported it today. I think at Georgia State, it's a job that when they started that program, I was like, it sounds like a great idea on the surface. Right. Right. Because you're in Atlanta, you're in Georgia, you're a hotbed, you've got 60,000 students, but it's a commuter school and it's hard to get things going. And let, I mean, UCF is the exception, not the rule. And, and, And UCF has probably more campus life, I would think, than. Yeah, it's then, come a long uh, way. Georgia State. So it, it's like, look, <laughs> I, when they st- when they started when they hired Bill Curry, I was like, this is going to be a complete disaster. Uh, so for him to go in there and take them to five bowl games in seven years, he, he was four and one in bowl games. You know, he beat Tennessee at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. He scared the bejesus out of Auburn. Hmm. Scared the bejesus out of North Carolina. Um, you know, took his lumps. Sure. That James Madison game last year was tough, but, but you you do have to understand like, because the few fans they do have are very passionate. Phil and I have had, uh, the guy from their website. Remember him, Phil, Ben Moore. Yeah. Ben Moore. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. He predicted victory for the mighty Panthers and Williams Bryce a couple of years ago. I mean, they're passionate. See, you have to yeah, you have to think too, you know. So, so what if I keep going to bowl games and then I have a, the occasional down year? We get a new administration in here that doesn't really like me or know me. Oh, it's time to move on to. I'm going to go hire Derek Mason, kind of like they did to Rick Stockstill up at Middle Tennessee, which would be a, another disaster. So, I I think coming home, the fact that he's taken, I think he's taking Georgia State about as far as that program can go right now, especially in this era. Um, you know, and then and, and I would say well, I would definitely hang it more on NIL and the portal, uh, had this not been something that's been kind of rumbling behind the scenes for a couple of years. Because it's yeah. this is not the first this did not completely shock me. It shot me in terms of I didn't expect it to be this time. But uh it it had they had, had a like an, an actual offensive line opening this year, I'd I'd have I'd have probably reported that he was you know, the leader in the clubhouse, but, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I think, I think it's interesting, you know, and, and to your point with the staff, I mean, you've got this guy, Sean Elliott, all the, all these are kind of unique hires. I mean, Coley and Blackwell were obviously with Jimbo at A&M. Coley's been a good recruiter and a known entity for 20 years. Blackwell's an up and comer who was with Kiffin at Ole Miss and recruited Quinshot Jutkins. Um, but then you got this Elliott story. That's kind of off the beaten path. And then Joe D. Camillus, uh, Mike, you've followed NFL football for a while. You've heard his name for a long time, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, coach for the Falcons, he's Dan Reeves' son-in-law. Right. I mean, he is one of the more well-known special teams coaches in the National Football League, and 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 never coached coached in college. He was on with Sark last year at Texas, kind of learning the ropes. But 
that's that's a different hire, but you think about it. That's a guy all these guys have years of coaching experience. And I think sometimes for a young coach, you can get by with doing the young up and comer if you get a bunch of cowboys and a, like Urban Meyer had Dan Mullen with him. They kind of came up together and Adazio and all those cats. But then sometimes if you don't have prodigies coaching with you or, or you, you do have to make changes, you know, sometimes it's time to maybe go back and get guys with experience, especially kind of right here in a, in a year four situation. So uh, I, I'm overall, I think, you know, with Elliot coming in now, I think that this makes it so that it is an upgrade from the four that left. I, I would totally agree with that. And I, again, I, I think the, the, the staff, you know, year by year is kind of stabilizing to what you wanted. But when you first, you know, when it's your first rodeo, it's tough to just have every, as I've mentioned well, before, every, every program in this league, including Alabama and Georgia, has had coordinators that have not worked out, assistant coaches that have not worked out, and su- subsequently been fired. So there's no reason why South Carolina would be immune to that. It happens everywhere. Uh, but I do think it's more difficult, if we're being honest, if you're a younger coach and you know, you're know you new to, to being a head coach, of just having the ability and the, the contacts uh, to get whoever you know you just you want that of course and money rules the roost I mean how many times have you seen it where you want somebody really bad and you just lose a bidding war yeah I mean that's Carolina's right. been on the wrong end of that at times well, well look that happened when he first his first staff people see people people have don't have good memories on this people it was during the pandemic it was kind of weird originally Mike Bobo was his offensive coordinator Will Friend was his offensive line coach well, they got a better offer from Auburn and hightailed it. Des Kitchings, for some reason, got an offer to go to the Atlanta Falcons. Tracy Rocker got to go to the Browns. So Tracy Rocker is a; those are all grizzled veterans. Um, and so that's uh, that. That I think that was his first inclination. I think then he kind of went with, "Well, I'm going to go get my guys and do an up and cover." And Marcus Satterfield and Monterey Hardesty were disasters. Uh, I think he kind of found a a good diamond in the rough with Lonnie Teasley and Greg Atkins uh, after what I think those are actually better than, than Will friend would have been. Uh, and then D line coach, you know, I, I hate to say it. I, I think until he got Travy and Robertson back in, that would have been kind of a downgrade. Uh, so, you know, and, and look, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Like I mentioned, urban Meyer earlier, virtually the same staff for Bowling green on up, you know, he, he did retain Charlie strong when he got to Florida on defense. Cause Whittingham got the Utah job and, that's been a model of consistency in Salt Lake City. So, so, so somehow Urban Meyer had an ability to identify good coaches <laughs> younger. Not everybody's got that, and and even when you do think somebody's going to be good, and they end up they end up not being because it's not a fit. Fit's important too, depending on where you're at. So, I I think it is fascinating, but I think uh, when 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 the jobs started opening. This offseason, I thought, well, Shane will probably go with experience this time because I, I think that's what most people, his dad, Ray Tanner, people he listens to would advise him to do. And, well, folks, I don't I don't think I disagree. There's a lot of dang experience with, with these four guys they bring to the table when you throw them in there with guys like, like Tori and Gray and, you know, up-and-comers like Robinson and Lucas and and guys like that. It's uh, And, and um, with Sean in there now – with the exception of Teasley, and now there's a run game coordinator, so Teasley's going to be doing a little something different. Uh, Dowell's got a completely new offensive staff from what he inherited, so that's interesting too. 
I think <clears throat> one of the things that um, is interesting about this, and then I want to get your thoughts quickly, Mike, on uh, the nine-game schedule and college baseball. We got to get out of here in ten minutes because I got to get on the road. I got to get to Columbia. Um, but um, I, and I just saw it somewhere, like Bruin said in the chat box, and I. <clears throat> He's right. Uh, uh, keep in mind, Bruin, I'm not picking on you when you say this. I'm I'm in defense of what I'm about to say. Uh, Bruin says in our Nanosports chat box, people are tearing him apart because practice started yesterday and now he leaves and it sucks for, for them. You know, they've obviously had to – they've canceled their spring game and, and all these types of things, and it's going to – we know this is coming. There's going to be multiple folks on the national scene that, you know, paint this – Poor, the, poor these kids, this coach is up and left and yada, yada, however they want to word it. It's, it's coming. We know it's going to happen. It happens all the time. But it's not his fault. That's the culture we're in. I mean, sorry. I feel bad for the kids at Georgia State, but not really because these coaches are up and leaving programs at a rapid pace to go do other things that make their life less stressful for multiple reasons. Yeah. And, you know, I'll just add one thing of that, Jamie. Um, we don't know the whole story, too, on the other side. Like, I'm here in Atlanta, and I can tell you, obviously, Georgia State is a distant, distant uh, <laughs> it's behind sub Georgia. It's you know, subject, dude. It's it, subject. It, it, as much as Georgia Tech is, is just about irrelevant in this town, and nobody seems to care, it never gets any discussion yeah. on any talk. It's like they're here, but they're not here. You know, Georgia State obviously is, a, again, it's a commuter school. It's in a Group 5 conference. But I didn't get the feeling, and I could be wrong on this, just listening to what little tea leaves are out there, that we don't know if he was getting a, a great, uh, what do they call that, vote of confidence from the leadership at Georgia State. Mm-hmm. Okay? I, I mentioned the conference record. I mean, Georgia State has has pumped in money into their program. So they want to start competing and winning Sunbelt championships, right? That's what everybody wants. So uh, he might have read some tea leaves like, am I actually going to be on the hot seat for this job? I mean, that's ridiculous. But but never underestimate the expectations of an administration and a fan base, no matter if they're realistic or not. So, right. I, I mean, that's where I say if he wasn't getting – enough of a endorsement from the leadership at the university, and I don't know this for a fact, uh, then that makes that decision a little more easier and palatable because it, it, it's like if you're threatening to, to not renew my contract or not keep me, then I'm going to obviously have a wandering eye and look at other opportunities. That's just the nature of the beast in any line of work. Yeah, I th- I just you know I, j- I just think that like with every the way that everything's been trending, I mean, these coaches now like are there, and this is everywhere. I and mean, we just talked to Holbrook about this. Like, this is going to start happening in baseball. This is going to start happening in basketball. Like, you you can because of the rules in college athletics, you can literally have your program torn apart overnight. And and I had somebody, I heard this earlier, uh, and I don't know where I heard it, but. <clears throat> Talking to, for instance, South Carolina basketball. Well, they got beat by 40 last night. Well, you know, in a perfect world, you'd like to say, well, shoot, man, when we get those guys next year, gosh, Colin Murray Boyles is 
you have Colin Murray Boyles, you're going to have Jacoby Wright, you're going to have Zach Davis, you're going to have this guy. You're gonna, yeah, you're losing to Lon Cooper and you're going to lose BJ Mack, but you're re- in Studi, but you're returning everybody else. Yeah, because those are the old days of college athletics. We don't know that anymore. We don't know that any of those guys are going to be playing basketball for the game. He costume. also might be coveted by Ohio State. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's a whole well, other true, story but, that I'm sure is going to get some love. Sure, but I mean, but you you get, you get my point. Like, it's not like the yeah. old days where, like, you know, Sean Elliott can go out and have an exceptional two or three years worth of recruiting classes at Georgia State and then have the entire rug be pulled out from underneath him overnight. And at what point in time do coaches just get sick and tired of that crap? And well, they they're already say, there. No, you're absolutely exactly. right. What makes this unique, and this is why it's going to be a national story, it's not just the timing of it. It's that he's not leaving for a coordinator job. No, He's leaving exactly. for an, for an well, assistant coach job. So you're, in a, you're a head coach. Now, and I don't have his salary. I'm sure it's it's public because it's a public university. JC, you probably know exactly what he's making at uh, Georgia State or a ballpark. So, I mean, is it, a, is it a big bump in pay? I have no idea. Is it a is it a is it a? Is it I'd a, say it's probably to apples? I'd say it's probably a little more. I mean, maybe he's making yeah. eight hundred, eight hundred to a million. Okay, so, so well, I'm sure South Carolina is getting close. They're going to give him a line. He's, he's got a title too of run game coordinator, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, so yeah. which is very interesting. It, some some run game coordinators are just on paper, so you can pay them. They're not they're not bringing him in just to coach tight ends. So they can pay him a bunch. He's uh, he's got that the app the old App State run game that they use at Georgia State, the zone read, which. Uh, fit South Carolina's personnel for this well, coming season. Very well, what, what, what I'll be interested to see too is, is, is the university of South Carolina buying us, buying him out of that. I mean, he's up and leaving in the middle. He's not getting canned, so he's not getting paid to go away. He's going to owe somebody some money. So I, I'm yeah. assuming South Carolina is going to foot the bill on that. SEC school, SEC dollars, you know, you, you calculate all that. It's kind of baked yeah. in. It's just like, yeah. like I always talk about, and I think we're past this point, right? Where, Parts parts of fan bases or get get worked up over the buyout. Uh, now, if you're Texas A&M and you spend eighty million dollars to get rid of Jimbo, that's a maybe a little bit different dollar. <laughs> yeah, different, yeah, wait, that, that's that's who's, who's passed what now? That's yeah, a little crazy. Uh, but like, it, if if you're a if you're a fan of an SEC school and you're getting worked up over a twelve million dollar buyout, you you need to you need to wake up and realize this is this is the new normal and and those. Those figures are baked into the contract. So when Jimmy Sexton is in that room and he's talking to the AD and you're going over the dollar figure per year, what's also significant is you know you're go- if you're going to get a major coach, you're going to have to get uh, to offer up a legitimate buyout. That's just, that's just the way it is. So you don't sit there and go, oh, my goodness, we could have given him a $500,000 buyout. No, you couldn't. That's not the reality of an SEC job and hiring and firing of an SEC coach. John Elliott, at the end of the day, he's going to be back in Columbia. South Carolina has got, uh, the way that it looks here on February the 15th, an outstanding coaching staff under Shane Beamer. Loved what you said, by the way, earlier, Mike, about that. Uh, you know, look, when 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 a, when a young guy or a guy that's never done it before, you know, they, everybody calls it growing pains, a lot of times we don't know what those growing pains are going to look like. Sure. And, you know, and, and now when you use that 2020 vision, you look back a few years, it, it looked like part of that for, for Coach Beamer was figuring out what this staff would ultimately need to look like to compete in the SEC right. as opposed to maybe what he thought initially. And clearly, as JC has been pointing out now for multiple weeks, 
he made the change. Uh, and they've got dudes who've been around, and we'll see if it pays off. Hey, I'll tell you this, too. We, we could do a whole show. Maybe we'll do this on J.C. and Morgan. Uh, we could do a whole show on great coaches that had great runs at universities and how it looked in their first few years. And it ain't always pretty. In fact, it usually isn't. Um, yeah. And if you take over a job that historically has not ha- had a lot of great success in the sport of college football, and then all of, a, all of a sudden you expect them to just have the high watermark for the rest of time, that doesn't, that's not reality. So you have to make a decision as a fan, like do you, do you calculate all that or do you just uh, every time the season doesn't meet your expectations, your default button is fire the coach and hit the reset button fire the coach and hit the reset button. And then eventually you kind of have to look at it and say, well, maybe the problem, maybe all those coaching hires weren't that bad. Maybe there's something deeper than that. Right. I I mean, that would kind of be, if you just go on straight logic. So I, I, I think, you know, there was going to be some bumps in the road, no matter who Carolina hired. And when yeah. Shane Beamer is gone, there's going to be bumps in the road for the next guy. It's just, it's just the, it's just the way it is. And it's just you, now you're signed up for a 16 game murderous schedule. And you talked about nine. I know we're running out of time. I think nine will happen. Um, not to, not to the thrill of every coach out there that realizes that's going to be more losses on his resume, and it's going to have more fans calling for coaches to be fired, and it's going to have probably more coaches get fired. And an yeah. eight-win season that you would celebrate before now means you could finish ninth in the SEC. Yeah. That, that's reality, yeah. folks. Uh, Craig know. asking about the scheme. The scheme didn't change, but sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's reality. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Micah. No, you're good. Well, the, the, the scheme doesn't change, Craig. It's still Dowell Loggins' offense and passing game. Same thing as if Steve Spurrier were here and Steven Garcia or Dylan Thompson or Connor Shaw, take your pick, was the quarterback. So it doesn't change anything. And Reno can get you some yards with his legs, too, at times. Now, for this coming year, you know, obviously they're going to run Lenoris, but Lenoris is also a passer. Please keep that in mind. If they have to play Robbie Ashford, I think we're all going to be sitting around thanking God that Sean Elliott is the run game coordinator because that's perfect for, for a guy like that. So if there we like go. You- if you want it's all so, these hires to look really good, have Lenoris play like a stud right away. Zone otherwise, read, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Craig, zone read. I don't think you're understanding what zone read is. Uh, Dylan Thompson ran zone read, same offense. Uh, Perry Orth ran zone read, same offense. Uh, I mean, it's just you emphasize one or the other depending on the skill set of your quarterback. This is not Rich Rod. We're not running the Rich Rod offense here. This is the, the GA Mangus except whatever Dowell does passing game-wise and and what they did before under Spurrier, which worked. Those are pretty good offenses. Pretty good offenses. Thanks to Ryan Brewer Fence and Gary Patterson with State Farm Insurance as they always present the power hours here with the very powerful golden tones of the great Mike Morgan. Um, A couple quick parting shots, Mike, before we let you have the last word. Uh, The rotation is officially set. Coach King kind of hinted at us. Uh With uh, hinted at this with us yesterday, Eli Jones will get the ball tomorrow for the uh, first pitch of the year to be thrown by the now Friday night guy for Gamecock Baseball. Dylan Eskew will throw it on Saturday, and Roman Kimball will be in there on Sunday as Matthew Becker also continues to deal with a little bit of a lat issue. Um, so that's the rotation for Carolina this weekend. Tonight at 7, 
on ESPN. The Lady Gamecocks are up in Knoxville to take on Tennessee. Balls might not make the tournament this year in women's basketball. They got to face South Carolina twice down the stretch, and they're going to probably need to beat them once maybe to get in there. Uh, so they've got this one circled. We'll see if uh, Dawn and the ladies have a have a challenge tonight or not on their hands in Thompson Bowling Arena. With all I'll that said, say, Mr. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll just it. say one. Th- you said final word. I'll just say since you brought up the rotation, here here's how I look at the goal for February and early March before conference play. No arm injuries. Just get through without any arm injuries. I'm not saying the games aren't important. I'm not saying you don't want to win all of them. But I'm telling you, it's the most debilitating thing, and a college program is not set up to overcome it. In the bigs, you just call up a, a guy from the minors. You got a hot prospect in AAA. You cover up the, the wound. If you lose, and this has happened too many times to Carolina recently, you lose one or two arms in that rotation. You lose an arm in your back end of your bullpen. There's very seldom a plan B that is even close to plan A, not with 11.7 scholarships. So stay healthy. Winning's great. Stay healthy in February. Speaking of healthy, Tiger Woods is only three back at the Genesis right now. Go, Tiger. Go, Tiger. Go, 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 Tiger. It's my guy. Sunday Red, his new brand. We will be live BLT. tomorrow. At, at, uh, BLT. BLT time BLT for the Golden Got to get the pipes working for the uh, weekend call. Yeah, man. Um, I got my Windjammer shirt on, by the way, Jamie. All right. There you go. Tell everyone thank you for that. The boys. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Phil and I will see you tomorrow morning from high atop Founders Park as opening day is upon us. 10 a.m. Remember, 10 a.m. tomorrow and uh, immediately as programming begins, we'll all learn something as Justin Smoke will join us from a golf course near you. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, as always, and thanks Enjoy to Chad guys. Holbrook for uh, joining us earlier. Can't wait to see you tomorrow for a laundry list of goodies to kick off college baseball season. For JC and Mad Dog, I'm JB. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 at 10 on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. <laughs>